OTB GAA Burns was on another planet this year boys like in the first half of the All-Ireland final this year Old Murphy put a puck out down Burns puts the claw up and puts it back over the bar like. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember Effortless shave, magnificent mo. It's Papa Seven on this Wednesday morning, the second of November, and you're very welcome along to OTBAM. Brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. We're with you until 10 a.m. this morning, as per usual. Galway man, broadcaster and journalist Johnny Ward. Good morning. Good morning, Shane. Corkman and producer extraordinaire Colin Boopy. Good morning. That's a lovely introduction. Well, there you go. Well, yeah, I think I, we should mention. You know the way, like it, it mentions your club in the yeah. in the, the county in the county That's programs. Really nice. I think I we like should that. nice context. You know, yeah. usually with Charlie discuss uh, Colin and Johnny are here. Yes, yeah, so we've we've Monaghan and Galway represented. I, I didn't do your clubs, but I, I wasn't aware of your clubs. So apologies, Saint, lads. Saint Brendan's, yeah. So um, Brendan's, Colin, yeah. would you like to give a shout out to your club? Alice Corinthians, Adam Eda's, uh, oh, yeah. and Everton as well. Dennis Irwin, lovely. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. the yeah. other day, and of course, Satellite Taxis FC established in 2013. We talked about recently. Um, really great club and going places now approaching the 10 year anniversary been to Turner's Cross many times have won many trophies and uh, going from strength to strength fun fact about Satellite Taxis FC who are they sponsored no by? Taxi drivers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no taxi drivers no taxi drivers no taxi drivers right right brilliant um, lads Champions League night last night quite enjoyable I thought um, I watched the Spurs game Spurs game was just mad yeah. um, I mean at different points you're looking at the at the table like I have a, a list here of the someone had uh, very kindly done out a list of the times and how the the, uh, the groups changed oh. uh, so 8.39pm Sporting lead 1-0 Spurs were dropping to 2nd 8.47pm Marseille lead 1-0 Spurs dropped to 3rd then at 9.17pm Spurs of course equalised moved back to 2nd 9.21pm 4 minutes later Frankfurt, Frankfurt equalised which put Spurs top 10 minutes later 9.31 Frankfurt go ahead so Spurs back to 2nd and then of course 9.59pm just before the end of the game Spurs get the winner to finish top football is uh, comes at you fast lads and um, Antonio Conte will have been in the stands pretty pleased with what he saw maybe not in the first half but they got there in the end yeah the, the uh, it's good to get Phil Egan as a bit of a sounding board before he came on and he reminded me which I hadn't seen that the, the Marseille manager was like was imploring the players mm. by the way we want to get into the Europa League yeah. group stages here even if we don't win this game which in the space of a few minutes was quite mad they left themselves with a three on one effectively where like Spurs had given up on winning the game they were taking the ball into the corner well before injury time yeah. and um, whatever you think about like the third place I think it has some merits you can debate but the third place dropping into the Europa League Marseille did have that as a nice cushion and let's be honest Marseille weren't going to win any Champions League this year it would have been a realistic uh, cushion for them to get into and um, they don't anymore it was just yeah it was one of those games Colin that you're, you're, it was enjoyable to watch um, the atmosphere looked ma- fairly mad in the Stade Velodrome uh, was, uh, that, for me that was the most like um, the commentators um, Glenn Hoddle and who was doing can't remember who was doing I, I, I'm not familiar with his name actually the guy who was doing the main commentary on, on what I was watching but he kept going on about it um, possibly to make the point that we're actually at this game because a lot of commentary is done now like remotely but he was like this is amazing um, you know the bombs have been got, the fireworks have been going off all day Glenn Hoddle is still jittery beside yeah. me but like in a developed country um, and I say that in the nice possible way because I think the, the, the richer the people going to games generally the less atmosphere you get because you know it is what it is Never, that atmosphere is unbelievable like it was yeah. unbelievably noisy and I think it affected Spurs in the first half <laughs> definitely and I think as well that that uh, attendance is down 13,000 mm. because of the banner they have with the the fan um, 
you know, in line for attempted murder, uh, firing a missile and entered Frankfurt fan in September. So they were punished for that. And as you say, it didn't seem to affect the atmosphere at all. And also, Johnny, you were mentioning in the, po- in the pre-show meeting that, like, it's rare that you get an atmosphere like that in a first world country in, in matches nowadays. But with Marseille, it doesn't seem to affect them at all, that their, yeah. their geography, you know, they're just so passionate about it. And yeah, you're watching visually, if you had the volume off, you would think, oh, there's probably nothing to this match because one side of the stadium is completely empty and then you turn the body man it was incredible yeah. and like BT you know made the wise decision to just allow the celebrations to flow once Marseille scored in the stroke of half time and for about 30 seconds there was silence from the commentators as we heard the crowd and I wonder did that Jonathan Lou article have anything to do with the commentators staying silent because that yeah. has caused a lot of controversy it has for anyone who hasn't seen this Jonathan Lou in the Guardian um, so the headline commentators have taken over but it's time to let the game do the talking and he goes on it's a criticism of commentary and, and how much maybe commentators talk so he says that he talks about the list of names in front of uh, commentators he says so he starts off somewhere in a reinforced concrete bunker in the northern hemisphere Paul Dempsey is still talking he was talking long before you turned the television on you can be sure he'll be talking long after you turn it off he's got a list of names in front of him stats and facts reserves of time and patience that will outlast any human living or dead so he goes on and says here's Lautaro Martinez who has never scored a volley in October he's taking the piss uh, <laughs> lays it off to Francesco Caputo who owns four hats that's Jackson Bork on the Sampdoria bench who joined in the summer from Fighting Spiders in the Maltese Premier Division whose next game you can catch on BT Sport 8 on Thursday at 11am like he's just he goes a little bit far in my opinion Jonathan Liu I don't know what you lads um, make of the, the way commentary has developed but I mean he's very very critical he even like he, he sacrilegiously criticises Peter Drury at the end and he goes uh, overwrought emotion soaked commentary specifically geared towards the viral clip market Milanese mayhem Peter Drury will shout after a dramatic late winner a San Siro drama to end all dramas and you think alright Peter it's a one to win in Europa League group K let's not go overboard but like Peter Drury and that shouting that he does and the little uh, quips that he comes up with after a goal makes it for me he makes a Europa League Group K in, uh, game interesting and that I, th- that I think is the point totally but I think it's such a subjective thing commentary is that I, I think they fundamentally all perform at the same level in terms of if you were to read a transcript of what they said for 90 plus minutes you would say it's pretty consistent with each other they got yeah. everything factually correct so really then it's just a matter of taste and what voice do you like and what intonations do you prefer as well and I, I'd be along with you Shane like I do like uh, uh, the roller coaster style of um, they, they kind of awake you from your slumber like if something happens and also like I'd often you know I'd have a match on and I'd be doing the washing up or something which would mean just out of sight of the television so I'm relying on the commentator's yes, tone yes. to change to yeah. get back into the room so I can't have a flat tone of a commentator <laughs> you know now I personally love the colour that a voice adds but you were saying Johnny that it was up to you you'd have no commentary for certain games. Yeah, do you remember, was it like initially the red button, you could do that, you could, um, this is going back a long time now, where you could just um, make it as the most, as live experience, where like, you get the noise of the crowd, which would, last night would have been perfect for that. Now on the other hand, I'm like you, Colm, like I, my attention span is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. So I'm like, probably on my phone or on, on something else. Yeah. So I do need like to be kind of brought back into it. But commentators, um, there's so much football on TV now as well that a lot of it does feel almost a little bit contrived in terms of their interest in the game. Um, and I don't want them necessarily to tell me how the game is going. That That's for me to judge, like if, you know, if that makes sense. But do you not get little tidbits of um, information from a co-commentator, a, pre- a former footballer or a manager who has more insight, granted, than any of us in this room? Who He can, may not have. 
Well, he may, he but, may be absolutely yeah. useless, but more experience in. Or, he, and he, he may be on. He may be on RT for like the last fifteen, twenty years, and still hasn't been told how to pronounce grammar properly. Well, that's that's, like, a, I mean, like, that's an issue. Yeah, just yeah. because you may have like hundred international caps or whatever it is, just can you not tell this person it's not like have went, it's have gone? Do you know what I mean? So get the grammar right. I mean, it's it, time and time again that would annoy me now. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I, I, I get what you're saying, and I, I, and I think. Um, he's done well there, like, and you, you have all these like constants, constants, like, and it's cliches like, as well, like, cliches, and it's like, well, I yeah, but know. can you imagine that the never-ending internal debate that the commentators and co-commentators have for every match is like, when should I speak here? Should I speak here? Should I leave this goal? What, yeah. What's the best thing to do here? So you're making those decisions a hundred times a game, right? And mm. for the co-commentator especially, when do I come in here? So they're waiting for the cue of the commentator. I mean, really, we should have be Nathan Murphy in here telling us exactly how to do it. But, like, do you know, I'd be partial to a bit of Nathan commentary because I think, I think he really adds to it. It's on like, the radio, though. Yeah, I know, but it's so the same. It's, it's the same topic. Like, no, I mean, like because on the radio you're describing it. On the on the TV, I can see I can see pretty much everything here. No, you, but I think if really, Nathan was a lot on of TV, time you're not adding anything to me. You're telling me like stuff that I already know. I don't really, I don't really want to hear you. So you're talking for ninety minutes. Like Stephen Doyle made the point with us yesterday. who was a commentator with, with ourselves and off the ball, uh, Premier League commentator. He was making the point that there are people at home, elderly people or people who have no conversation at all during the week, and for mm. them, like that commentator, commentator mm. is literally in their homes. It's company. Um, yeah. It's company. Yeah. And yeah. like even Kathy like McAmey, yeah. our producer Kathy McAmey, one of our, one of our producers, is is uh, pointing out here. This isn't the first time Lou has written about this. Wrote about it like a year ago too, and broke down the amount of time the commentators now talk compared to before. Mm. Got himself in a lot of trouble then too. So clearly, something he really feels to wait in on again, like. He, he, look, he's got he's got what he wanted. We're all talking about it. And we've clicked into his article, so clearly. No, I I believe that he believes this. Like Kathleen's pointed out, this isn't the first time he said it, and I really really love Jonathan Lewis' writing. I think he's I think he's a really imaginative journalist. So yeah. I I believe him that this is what he thinks, and I think it's an interesting topic. I think it's worth bringing up I because think, I think it's, it, wh- it's polarizing, completely polarizing what people think about commentators, yeah. and it always goes down to examples. But generally, you're going to hear, I hate so and so. Yeah, because they ruined the game for me. Yeah, I would not be and on that, that line at all. That, uh, that's fair enough. Like, every, like I'm sure not everyone's a fan of us. Like, you know, and I've yeah. no issue with that. But Whoa. like, in fairness, <laughs> to, in, oh, sure. in fairness to Bruce Millington, the race post, he's been banging this drum for a lot longer than that, and um, he's been writing about this in the race post for I'd say the guts of ten years. And absolutely, if there are two goals in a game and the goal takes like whatever a mini second each, do I need you to tell me stuff with the other lad or lady for ninety minutes? No. Mm. But what do you want? To, what, what are you expecting from your? Uh, what's your I'm not blaming commentators. Just I don't. I prefer to turn it off much of the time. Okay. Like, yeah, I, I understand how you know commentators can be polarizing. Like, I, I can't stand Martin Tyler as a commentator, for example. No, he's I, I think gone. He's, he's gone. He's, yeah. he's gone comfortable in himself. Where he's yeah. like, I'm and, a legend and, now. I can. I, I, and that befalls a lot of people, especially like watching Liverpool games. Like, and I'm not even a Liverpool fan, but there, there are times when Liverpool score a goal, a fairly big goal, and you're like. You'd swear mm. they just won a corner, maybe. Yeah. In terms of the intonation of his voice, he just gives it nothing. He doesn't give it what he used to give. Mm. Um, Long live Peter Brackley. Like. Excuse my grammar there. Oh, the Peter off. Brackley just mm. instantly brought back to the 90s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Football Italia. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, it, oh, it's incredible. Beautiful. Channel 4. Um, but what I don't understand, and it seems to me that this has only emerged in the last decade or so, maybe even half decade, is the hatred that Martin Tyler receives. I'm firmly on Camp Tyler. 
Are you? Yeah, and even Emma even beforehand today. was saying, yeah, Emma was saying, you know, like, I, I, I might be uh, misrepresenting Emma here, and she'll tell me if I am, but I think she said that she's not a big fan of Tyler's, and I've heard that from loads of people. No, I can't, I can't listen to him anymore. So, no they're also, so you're another one? Yeah, I can't listen to well, Tyler. But what's wrong with Tyler? I, he's he lost, hasn't he's changed. lost the enthusiasm yeah, Exactly, at his age of like 30-odd years of Premier League, God my, I, I'd, have, I'd have lost enthusiasm 100%. Mm. Like, and there's so much football on now, there's so much money in the game, the atmosphere is not as good at all at a lot of these games, you're doing so much of it. Of course you're going to lose interest. Yeah. Well, on, paid, have like, we just decided that he's lost interest? Ah, I know, if you listened to him from the 90s or the noughties to now... He was different then. But he, he just sounded, he he sounded we younger. No, no, he sounded more enthusiastic. It sounded like he was enjoying well, being there more. his friend, personally, because I think that guy brought the best out of him. Consistent. Controversial. P- Peter Drury has been consistent f- uh, forever and always. Clive Tilsley, and I'm biased, I love Clive, T- Clive Tilsley, I've met the man. What about George gentleman. Hamilton? Um, Ham- George is great. Like, George, obviously, of Italian 90 and George of now are possibly different as well. Yeah. That's why like, it's so look, subjective, but, this thing. But, jo- yeah, George, but, but I think George, George of now is, is not at a title. Like, I still enjoy listening to George, whereas Martin, I don't enjoy listening to Martin. Yeah, I I don't I actually quite like George Hamilton, but the t- the bugbear in our house was that in Ireland games that were so tense during the nineties, and George would be like writing the result with five minutes to go, and my ally'd be like, "It's not over yet; they could still score. It's yeah, like it's yeah, one yeah. nil." And often then there would be like an equaliser. <laughs> mm. But once I got over my father's bias against him, George Hamilton, he's the Hamilton scores as well. He's a man of the arts. Ah, uh, yeah, you know? yeah. I and like he's just a really nice guy, yeah, and he's again totally. he's getting on, and he's he doesn't sound like he's lost. No, he, he has passion for it definitely. Like I watched. No. Um, uh, the 21s played the same night as uh, Ireland played Scotland there a few weeks ago and he was doing that and like like you say it, he might as well have been commenting in Italian 90 like you know he treats every yeah. game like it's the most important which is fantastic that's exactly what you want um, but like <laughs> going back to Tyler right I have to say on Tyler here sorry because I don't understand the abuse he gets you see for me I associate his voice from back in the day hearing him on Sky and we never had Sky growing up so I I associate him with this pining this pining. Like, he, so I want subscri- I want to subscribe to the tighter voice, to, and I couldn't. He used to go. We'll be back after this, and it's live. Yeah. And now he's like, and it's live. Yeah, because <laughs> like, no, to no he way. He doesn't no. care anymore. It's not that. He doesn't it's care. It's not that. It's not that, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's live. so he he so he was told he doesn't sigh afterwards. Like oh, it's live. Like, oh, no, no. What happened there was he did it organically for a few times, and yeah, everyone and was like, oh, that's 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 the tighter. The so games. then it became contrived yeah. and then he did it and then he got so much abuse for making it contrived he was like well I'm going to say it because it's a cue for the ad but I'm not going to be as faux passionate about it because I'm getting abuse for being passionate so I think Tyler, the Tyler Corner he's in now he's in a difficult place he, he can't do any right for a lot of people no matter, like the only thing that will make people happy about Martin Tyler is if he stops commentating and I don't think he's there yet Martin Tyler I think could, he's to he, he the couldn't lash. lace Tilsley's boots <laughs> and like Tilsley's never lost. This is so. This is like. He's never lost. This is like. This is like pub talk. Like he could have Tilsley's. Like they're just two commentators. Like um, the you know irony I mean? of it is, I've done cold commentary on Golly Bay FM. But you, you do it in an enjoyable way. Absolutely love it. You'd be yeah. asking for lifts, for lifts home, and all in the middle of commentary. So you're, like, there's a bit of crack out of your commentary. But what a fly on sky. I've done with Oshin Langan a little bit. Sort of. Does that during COVID? Maybe in the recent years, anyway. And I absolutely love it. But if I were on the radio, a load of people wouldn't wouldn't like listening to me at all, as is the case anyway. So you're like, well, fair enough, I get it. Like, it's just so it's not for me. Some of these people, and I, I it's subjective. It it's is, subje- like- and a lot of the time, I prefer going to a game. I, I don't want oh, any I get that. at the game and I can scan what's going on and last night was one of the times where you feel like God I wish I was at that game that Sorry, after is amazing right. and I don't need the commentator Des Scal 
uh, like when you listen to it, to a, oh, uh, he's retired now, isn't he? But I mean, when, yeah, when you yeah. listen to a race with him, it's just iconic. Yeah, uh, Murray Walker, Formula One, um, Bill McLaren. Like there are just there are people who are Barry Davis. Barry Davis is like, my favourite. Yeah. Would you see Des's commentary then? Like, would be completely different to the British commentators. And a lot of people would say Des wasn't like he wasn't being descriptive enough about what was going on. And I've had this conversation with Des. Like, well, I don't want um, I I want to describe like as I see it, but I don't want to be making an editorial judgment on the race. Yeah. Whereas in Britain, what you get is a three horse terrible race on a Monday, and they're making it sound like the Gold Cup. I'm like, well, you have to have some context here. Like, don't yeah, be getting excited fair. about a, a, a race that's worth two and half grand with three bad horses oh, but if they don't get excited and they're accused of uh, Tyler's lack of you passion need con- you well, need, well you need context though as well you need th- what level am I at here there is a there's a compilation I don't know if it was on TikTok or if it was on YouTube but someone has done a compilation of, of Tyler in the last 12 months of right. fairly big goals and most of them were Liverpool goals and just the general ambivalence towards mm. the, the ball hitting the back of the net it's almost like I don't know if VAR has inhibited him in his commentary is he waiting for the goal to be scratched off so he's not giving it loads but no do you know what it is that's an excuse he, he's yeah. often commentating with Gary Neville and our Jimmy Carragher well, and I think he's letting them he's, he's kind of letting them do a lot of the talking now because Gary Neville never stops talking on commentary and same with Jamie right yeah. so he's kind of stepping back a bit but you know in the live notes here someone's put it in, in our own team gone are the days of Aguero yeah right? that's gone but, that, but he can't force it Maybe he's just not that excited about football anymore. Exactly. But so then, the job is someone who is. But hold on. But I still don't think he lacks passion for the game. I think he's longing for those Aguero moments and he's getting through all these games and he's actually doing exactly what Johnny said which is why can't uh, commentators like in the racing the three English commentators put it into context and I actually think he's very good at putting games into context I think he's lost interest I don't think he has I think he has and I think and if I, he lost I, interest he'd be gone. I, think, I think he'd walk away but sure, was he not was he not kind of like on the way out a few years ago but there was a clamour to get him back am I wrong I'm was sorry I, 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 don't, I, I don't want this to come across as ageist I, I, I don't care what age Martin Tyler is if Martin Tyler is 110 and he still has the same enthusiasm as he, as he always did I'm all for it, it he just doesn't I mean he just doesn't he, he, he seems does, like he's, he, he, he's he's matured into the grandfatherly type commentator for me look I love his because vo- I associate his voice with something that I always wanted I can never guess and now I have him and I'm happy with him but Michal O'Hare always had enthusiasm right yeah. until the end it, forget it games and mm. Martin Tyler doesn't have that I feel. I, I mean, think he does. My, 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 me and my brother have been watching games at home, and, and, and like I've done that. What you're saying, Colm, I've gone out to the kitchen and waiting for the intonation to draw, draw me back in. Not a big mark. I'll, I'll, I'll come back in, and there has been a goal, and I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ! I mean, there was a goal, but oh, I'd, I'd be very sad. I'd be very angry about that now. But I was his like, voice, commentator didn't... contract that we actually signed together. Yeah, unwritten. You're supposed to tell me when to come back into the room. For a number of times, we should do Gaelic commentators tomorrow because that that's another. Yeah, yeah. Very 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 well, nice. What's some of the YouTube that, comments? Yeah, some great some great comments coming in here. Like Danny Mac, different class, repeat three times. Job done, Jimmy McGee. Jimmy that's, McGee. that's incredible. I, I, uh, that's Maradona's goal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, he was one of the interviews I did uh, in college. I sat with Jimmy McGee for two hours one time in the students' union bar for use in UCD. And I mean, the man is he? He talked about even in the Cooley Mountains when he was younger, running around fields, mm. te- like fake commentating on games involving himself, kicking the ball to mm. himself. Yeah, yeah. Like born to be a commentator, mm. but had enthusiasm right the way up. Whether whether it was Olympic games, whether it was Gaelic football, whether it was Maradona in '86, he just always had enthusiasm. So mm. I think that's the number one prerequisite to be a commentator is be 
fucking enthusiastic about the thing I'm still in my 30s and I struggle to get motivated by the 12, 15 or the early game on a Saturday much of the time and yeah. I'm like oh another and, uh, but if it's a good commentator on you would be like alright yeah, yeah I'm into it this, this a lot Peter Drury by the way he's not on our, on our TV screens enough because he's, he's I don't know if he's on B in sports or the American channels whatever he is Jim Beglin's another one Tony um, Global Bring it These back. Lads are just well, what do you want for a 12.30pm commentator? Do I actually want, don't want a game at that time. You want, you want, that's place, the other yeah. thing. Is the uh, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm saying I'm, I'm not playing the, the commentator. Commentator. It's hard to motivate yourself. I get, I get it. And then if, then if it's not in your heart, it's contrived. And then how do you find the balance? And I think Big Martin hasn't... People aren't stupid. Well, you can well, tell I, when it's contrived. I think, okay, that's a good point, right? So then if you're struggling with the motivational aspect of it, then I think you become informative and go probably stats heavy. And I think then you're providing, you're providing a service to the viewer. But the only, the only commentator I dislike is saying, exactly like you were saying earlier, is literally saying exactly what I'm seeing already. Mm. I have no interest in that. But I find it's honestly, that's why it's subjective. So it's not about the voice. So what more can a commentator really do other than kind of telling you what's happening and then throwing over to the analyst next to them? That's really the commentator's job, like. Yeah. Um, Conor McNamara, too, on BBC, I enjoy. Dave McIntyre, I think, and someone has commented on the, the it's spinning, it's spinning moment for the Johnny Sexton drop goal against France. Like, yeah, the, yeah. those moments are brilliant. Dave's brilliant. Um, I just, I don't know. The commentary has maybe become a bit diluted and. and so a sport. There's too much sport. Like, there's so much sport. <laughs> you love, it's it's you love be, saying that. I know, we're, but there is. Like, it's, it's never going to stop, though. That's not. We're not. It's, it's, the like, the, it's like the internet. Less was not more. When you didn't like, have Sky, like, yeah. th- that was because he wasn't. We're never going back there. It's no, not going to happen. Not. Like, that's not going to happen again. There's a lot of love for Peter Drury in the comments as well. And was, it, was it Peter Drury when Ronaldo returned to United? for the Newcastle game his first game back was did the him? whole spiel for the two minutes before the game and some people are like oh it's fake it's planned it's pre, pre- yeah, I don't mind that. It's brilliant it's yeah, rare yeah, as well if it's yeah, good yeah. I don't mind it Martin um, Morrissey likes one of them now before a final and our own Tommy yeah. Walsh mm. yeah Tommy Walsh yeah. Uh, Irish Eyes here in the comments are saying this is getting like an episode of Slight Tangent and it is because this actually we could talk about this all day long we could. but Shane speaking of different class here we go <laughs> uh, you played football with Jermaine Genus last week. <laughs> we didn't, that, was the, that was the segue. It took 20 minutes. Segue, yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for you to get there. Jesus Christ. Jermaine Genus. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No biggie. No biggie. I came back there, was away for the weekend, came back yesterday. Shane was like, oh, how was JJ? And he was like, oh, yeah, it's very good. I was like, what's his touch like? Like, what's he like? I'm fascinated by this now. And Shane was like, oh, no, he's like very, very good, very neat and tidy, lacks fitness. And then we, we talked about that for a few minutes. And then Shane just threw it in there, buried the lead, being like, and I scored as well. Did, so, yeah. Shane, can you talk us through the It goal? was a good game. It was a seven aside in the rooftop. Oh, talk us through the goal, through a commentary. Yeah, we want the goal. Who your commentary? Well, give, give us the commentary. I, I can't. I can't. You, yeah, you I were interviewing Shane Because I'd be biased. I, I'd talk about the finish being the best finish you've ever seen because I finished it. Uh, yeah, it was played down the left, left footed, bottom right corner. I have to say it was a tidy finish. Who passed you the ball? Uh, JJ. Um, assisted. No, he, he, he like he was good. Uh, he didn't score. No, it was a three all. I think it was a three all draw. Finished. He didn't score, but um, he was good quality in terms of his pass and his technical touch. You could t- you can tell when he's, that he's a top level footballer. What or was a top level footballer? Now he says he, he hasn't been playing the last seven eight years. Hasn't been playing much football in terms of five side. Well, he's avoided. Have to throw that caveat out there, like for all yeah. I, mean, I haven't been. Just in case I'm like a little bit crap here. But he's even avoided <laughs> yeah. like even the charity games. You know the the eleven side yeah. matches. He's avoided all of that. Now he's in great shape. He's obviously he is. G- yeah. He's doing gym work and stuff. Yeah, it's the same with Rio Ferdinand. Yeah. Where they were both very slight when they played. He's got both, bigger muscles yeah, now than he ever did it when he was. A I gave out about him as a co-commentator only about two, three months ago. Yeah, well, the night before he was, he was on co-coms. Uh, the night before I was with him, he was co-coms for the Spurs game, the VAR mm. two and a half minute goal, and he was going on about the, the goal shouldn't have been disallowed. And stuff. he's a good lad, nice lad, yeah, nice lad. Jermaine. What did he make um, of you? I thought it was a legend. Mm. I was asking him in the interview, you know, who's the best midfielder you've ever played with, apart from 
myself obviously Same, yeah. he was full of now Luka Modric I think he, he yeah. named as the best midfielder he's played with but full of praise for Robbie Keane in terms wow. of a, yeah. a, a player oh, says yeah. he's the most intelligent footballer he ever played with Wow, um, just could read each other telepathic kind of and he, you'll know from watching that Spurs team and highlights of on the back like Jimmy Genius often set up Keane and mm. vice versa and uh, there was just something even Berbatov as well was involved oh. and I mean Berbatov yeah. Keane up front was just remarkable yeah. uh, and that Tottenham team was, was something else but I, I like Genius and, and he spoke very honestly about was it the Capello days he only has 19 England caps I think which mm. is a regret for him um, you know he was in the form of his life around the you know oh seven oh eight, and he feels like he didn't maybe get the the chances he deserved with England. He's an interesting um, player. I always thought uh, Genius is on the cusp of being a very good player, yeah, and just never quite got there. He had great moments. I remember in Nottingham Forest, he was one of like the hot prospects in English football, yeah. and then for Newcastle, he scored that great goal against Manchester United at St James's Park. But United won that game six two, but and, then, and he scored the goal right. This is two thousand and three. And it was an absolute thunderbolt from about 30 yards out. How would Tyler, and who was how would Tyler described who was, it? He was Tyler. Oh, and do you know what he said? Do you know what he said? Jermaine uh, Genus. Genus by name, genus by nature. Oh, after he scored that goal. Now that is Dad class. jokes. And Dad also jokes around that what time... What was the goal like again? Like it was oh, a long range. Like on the half volley and it, it was rising, rising, rising. Okay, top corner, yeah, yeah. Barthez. The great thing about Barthez was he conceded a lot of goals but he made every goal look great because he'd really dive for him. He'd it's really, like really go for conversation. him. It's gone from like Genus to Barthez. No, but like, that's important just to, this is Tyler. <laughs> and also around the same time England played Japan in a friendly Tyler was commentating when Sky Sports used to have their friendlies and Shinji Ono scored for Japan mm. he said oh no for Japan oh no for England oh that's pretty I'll take that one you know Johnny's got so I'm telling you look there's a lot in the Tyler cabinet that he just um, he stores away for a rainy day oh, Genius is one of these well, obviously he's, he's doing magazine type shows as well he's done, done the one show and you know he's interviewing Tom Hanks and Jennifer Aniston week in week out and these people as well so he's uh, he loves the media uh, and loves getting himself out there but he's I know like he spoke very warmly as well about Bobby Robson and the impact he had mm. very good on the Kieran Dyer Lee Bowyer Fraca that mm. he was I think he was he was just taken off Genus for Newcastle that day and he was he said he was shocked because himself uh, Bowyer Dyer Jonathan Woodgate and someone else the lads were used to sit in a group uh, for breakfast at training every single mm. morning and like they were the best of mates Bowyer and Dyer and just apparently came out of the, the blue this brawl right. um, but it's a good insight uh, and he's not even far as fan all right, not yeah, even yeah. boy originally. So Roy Keane, he spoke about trying to face off Roy Keane when he was nineteen or twenty, first coming into the Premier League, and Keane kind of just uh, they hit each other hard in a tackle, and Genius tried to say something to him, and he said Keane just looked at him and smirked as if to say, "Kid, I've I've been there, done that. I've had this people trying this with me a lot over yeah. the years, so you're not going to intimidate me." Um, this interview is available. It's available wherever you get your podcasts, OTV football uh, stream. So, uh, yeah, we, we played it out on Saturday's show, but uh, nah, he was really good, I have to say, Jermaine Genius. So let us know in the comments, we did this on Saturday as well, who's the best footballer you've ever played five or seven aside with? Does it have to be famous? Well, no. pre- preferably a... F- well, no, it doesn't have to be... Because there's a guy I'm thinking of who's yeah. famous. Yeah, that's, that's fine, like. Well, that's grand, but preferably, you know, even if it's an actor or a, or a singer or a comedian. Yeah. Do you just want to name all the people you play football? No, I, I, my list is... is Pretty poor. I played played against Glenn Crow. I was saying on Saturday, yeah. and he was a burly, like 
just ran into a brick wall when you hit into Glencrow. Um, but people, some of the people on Saturday in the text had, had great ones. Oh, really? Playing yeah. with like former League Ireland players and yeah, yeah. Premier League players. Neat... Bolo's ending yeah. on holidays, just bumped oh, into class, Tenerife or something. That's <laughs> class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing with Zendon. Well, uh, sure, I grew up at Miter, so I played at Miter a lot. Yeah. But Miter didn't stand out that much when we were younger. Like He just right. got better and better as he went as he got older. And then great he, example. Like mid, mid to late teens, then he obviously he became unbelievable. It's funny. Uh, yeah, he was always a great athlete, but he, he'd been mad into hurling too, so he was doing loads of different sports. Mm, yeah. And then I played against uh, Kevin Long, Munster Senior League. And, yeah, he stood out. And, oh my God. Well, everyone kind of knew he, like, he was about 17 at the time. And I was playing left wing and he was centre half. He was left sided centre half, so I didn't really have much interaction with him. But like you were trying to keep the ball away from him, definitely. I was out. Didn't fancy taking the man. Like it's technically good these footballers are, aren't they? He was. uh, Do you know what it was? His anticipation, Mm. right? So he didn't actually do very much. But the reason he didn't do very much is he saw everything coming. Yeah, yeah. Could read the game. Yeah, that was the thing about Genius uh, last week as well. He was kind of. You know, doing the whole scanning over the shoulder, and you, you just knew where everyone was on the pitch, and he'd be passing you the ball without looking. Uh, he just knew where you were, kind of thing, uh, which seems like an obvious thing. But I mean, for a Premier League footballer, but I mean, when you're playing against normal people, normal people, then it becomes quite obvious mm. that you know he's fully aware of where everyone is on this pitch. Nothing normal about Shane Hannon. Nothing normal, yeah. and I scored the goal. So thank you for bringing that up, Colin. Much I just wanted to hear more about it I'm very but interested in it did he call you Shane or was it like here pass pass well pass? I went up to him at the start and I said look uh, we were all introduced like the seven of us on our team were kind of clapping hands and trying to learn names and, and uh, I very very funnily went up to him and said oh, Jermaine is it <laughs> that's good everyone that's on the other team laughed and thought it was very funny he goes you can actually call me J- you can call me JJ. JJ if you want and I thought that was this is great this so is the whole game one. I'm there JJ JJ I, I even shortened it to J at one point I was like yeah, am yeah, I going yeah. this close now <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we were. We were we you should have ended up like son at the end of the game, like just pass it <laughs> over right, here, son. son. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I scored and he didn't. So, it'll <laughs> be a it. phoenix from the flames, like re- you know, recreation of this at some stage. Don't either in the boozer or on the show. Yeah, so, like, it was a le- it was a left footed low finish into the corner. Yeah, left footed low. Far corner. I can far almost corner. see it. it was keeper dived. Keeper dived. Keeper dived. It, it went exactly right. where you wanted to go. It all oh, perfect. I can almost perfect. see it. But keeper wearing gloves. He was wearing gloves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He stayed in goal. Oh, he was a six foot three oh, tattooed I'm burly keeper. In, uh, you start in goal, and the guy just wanted to go out. Like so, he did that thing where he turned no, the body away. Proper, and like, oh, proper no, proper Who's next? <laughs> no, I have to say it was. I landed. I was. I was thinking. Oh, this is going to be a media day, so it's all media. But um, I was the only person there to interview Jermaine. The rest were all. The lads were all models or Instagram, social media influencers. influencers yeah. So they were oh, just this group of very handsome. Fellas mm. and myself just playing playing football on a rooftop in London. So uh, what yeah, a what a day, what a day. A lot it's of great, isn't it? Your life's turned out really well. It's it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> highlight mailhouse proper highlight. We've got some of the comments in on the YouTube stream as well as on the the commentary. Um, Nathan Murphy, probably one of the best, says Shifty Lad. Ah, we'd be biased in this. Yeah, no, always knows what to say. Yeah. Uh, gone are the days of Guerrero. Anna, only the biggest goal in the history of the Premier League. Yeah, but th- those days of Tyler commentary are gone. No, I think Brian makes a good point. As in, as in we can never have that moment well, again? No, um, Brian's saying that the example of Aguero is like, that's an outlier in every commentator's life. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah you're you going to have that. excellent, I haven't mentioned, sorry. And I've played Astro with him, and this doesn't surprise me because he he's a very good player. Des Curran is very, very good, and he really knows the game. You can right. just tell. He he sees when a good pass is or wasn't made he'd be like oh and but without imposing himself on you he's definitely one of my uh, favourites when he and Pat Finlan are doing co-commentary I'm like 100% I want to listen to both of you he would, yeah, com- yeah. He would comment on the pass yeah he can just see a game like he was a good footballer oh sorry you're on about commentary match. now are you on about five a side 
Oh, he wouldn't comment on the passing five aside. I'm yeah. not when he's commentating. Ooh, great ball, Des. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Connor Morris is a very good player as well. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've never played with him. I, I think I don't think don't think I've played with Connor, but mm. I've heard different stories of him being a yeah, really tidy footballer. Both, both very good players. But no, Des would comment on when he's commentating on a game as opposed to like playing game Vastro, like you know, and having a running commentary. Which again, I can relate to some players who do that as well. They like to yeah. comment on their own passes and so on. Like, hundred percent. Someone um, says in the comments, Marty Whelan, you're Vision, that's passion. Yeah, um, there's a great video on on YouTube as well of Snoop Dogg and Kevin Hart commentating <laughs> commentating on um, show jumping. Is it show jumping? No, what's the one with the the horses dancing? The horses dancing. You know the horses dance. You in Amsterdam, are you? <laughs> <laughs> How is Amsterdam? <laughs> that note. Uh, no, but. but it, Dressage, sorry, dressage. thank you. Dressage. dressage. They're comment they're commentating on a on a bit of dressage with no experience of it whatsoever, and it's it's brilliant. It's hilarious, as you can imagine. But things like that, of uh, commentary of a sport that you don't uh, follow, but by watching it, like in snooker, for example, John Virgo is, I mean, he's top notch. And then you get ex players like Stephen Hendry, really, who adds a lot to it now. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, Joy and Doe. Ah, Joey and Doe. He's incredible. His passion is uh, untouched. He's, uh, he's a character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone else, uh, Mike Breen on YouTube, anyone else get a buzz from saying something about the match before the commentator says it? I remember when I was a kid, that 99 Champions League final, my dad, yes. w- one nil down, saying, oh, don't worry, Shane, United always score. Two seconds later, Tilsley, can Manchester United score? They oh, always man. score. That's Just, I, I thought my dad was... Galway man. God. Yeah. Galway man, of course. Yeah. So he, yeah, Billy Bowie would take great pride in uh, getting there first. <laughs> like, sure, I could do that, yeah, 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 you have to get it right. Uh, we've, we've gone a long time. Well, I have a lovely read there for you. Go on. No, I have a lovely oh, yeah. read. You have the read ready to go. You're gone, moving me on. <laughs> we just keep talking about this till, till, till um, last morning. Uh, OTBM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com at almost three minutes past eight. Here's what's coming up on the show today. So uh, we'll have the sports pages now in just a moment. We have Martin Lipton coming up very shortly as well to reflect on Spurs beating Marseille last night and qualifying top from Group D into the UEFA Champions League knockout stages. Stephen Kisby-Green, our own SKG, will be in at uh, round 25 past 8 to look ahead to the South African test this weekend. He's, of course, going to put the argument forward for... Maybe he's going to downplay South Africa's chances. We, we, we'll remain to be seen. But uh, the South African 15 is out to play Ireland on Saturday at the Viva Stadium. So we'll go through that with him. Uh, 8.50, Alex Kavanagh, the Shelburne centre midfielder and star. Of course, the weekend, she scored a goal for Shells in their win over Wexford Youths to help them win the Women's National League title down at Ferry Carrick. 10 past nine, Paddy Stapleton will join us in the studio, the Boris Ali man and uh, former Tipperary hurler, two-time All-Ireland winner, of course. He's written a couple of children's books in recent years as well. So uh, And one just recently out. So we'll... Uh, have a chat with him about that and a few other bits going on in the hurling world at the moment and uh, half past nine uh, Rudd bit of rugby uh, so uh, loads coming up on the show between now and ten o'clock but now it is time for the sports pages there are so many idiots out there so many spoofers there's a lot of horse <laughs> I think he's a total spoofer what do you mean a spoofer he's a bullshit. ah no I'm a, come on don't, don't be no I'm not no <laughs> Yes, indeed. Four minutes past eight on OTBM on this Wednesday morning. And we'll go through quickly the back pages. Uh, I'll start with The Guardian for no reason other than um, some interesting comments here from Gareth Southgate. Southgate under fire. Manager claims Qatar workers united in wanting World Cup. These comments came in an interview Southgate made with CNN. Um, He's getting a lot of criticism, of course, from uh, human rights groups, including Amnesty International. Uh, So his comments, essentially, I've been out to Qatar several times and I've met lots of the workers out there and they're united in certainly one thing. That's that they want the tournament to happen. 
um, and they want that because they love football. They want the football to come to Qatar. Uh, seems a bit ridiculous. These comments from from Southgate. I mean, I know they're probably uh, one sentence in a in a slightly longer interview with CNN, but. Um, Amnesty International warning that uh, although many migrant workers in Qatar are football fans, the majority were more interested in having their rights fully protected and being paid properly than the World Cup itself. Uh, Human Rights Watch as well, questioning them that said families of migrant workers who had died, been injured, or cheated of their wages, said it would uh, they would like to support the, uh, they would like to support the World Cup, but cannot because their children are starving and their breadwinners died in Qatar. So. Um, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure a lot of the migrant workers in Qatar are from countries uh, where football is nowhere near the main no sport. Interest. So I, I doubt. Even even it sounds like you know. Um, Again, another Simpsons reference, but it sounds like bulking accident here, where like the mafia started running the pretzels here. They said yeah. something because they had a, a laser on their head. Like, and I, I mean. I don't know why Southgate is saying this. Like, and I, I have a lot of respect for Southgate in general. But like, and usually on social what? issues, he's quite yeah. uh, finger on the pulse. And maybe he believes this. I don't know. I I don't. Yeah, and maybe it's got it's so close to the World Cup now. He, he doesn't want the conversation to be around that constantly in press mm. conferences. That he just wants to take the focus off. Let's focus. Do on you the want to watch the chain? Like honestly, we, we, I, I'm like, will I even watch this thing? I mean, I want I I, I want to watch it, but I I think I'll feel dirty watching it. Mm. Um. I don't think I feel good about myself watching it. We're on about the World Cup here. Just if anyone yeah. just tuned in, it's been a long yeah. morning. Yeah, it has yeah, been a long morning. It's just like ugh. it's one of those things. I think a lot of my mates don't care. Like they're just not thinking about the that aspect of. I don't even know Some when it starts. Are. Like in my head, I'm like, you know, we're doing previews of it this week and another channel. I'm like, when does it even start? It's not been on my it's radar like, at all. Like twenty days is the twenty nineteenth, okay. twentieth, around the end of November. So I mean. I think once it starts we're all going to kind of get invested and, and even if people want to not watch it at the start and boycott it they'll maybe slowly get into it as it gets interesting some people rightly will, will, will avoid it and more power to them um, given the nature of my job I'll probably watch it but I certainly won't feel good about it mm. um, it's, it's one of those World Cups that you just look the last World Cup was in Russia as well yeah, yeah. the state of what's happened in Russia since yeah. and before even you can get into what about we, um, but this is the, uh, the end of Zell if I want to McSafe faces Galway in first game of Mayo Reign um, uh, Taylorback's father and spat with Harrington as Serrano rematch moves closer Um I think this is modern uh, media as well. It's basically a story based on a social media post, but it is quite interesting. And mm-hmm. sex and we won't hold back against South Africa. And uh, yeah, Martin Brownie goes through his rankings with the football managers as well. Lovely. Uh, RFU in Greece's Six Nations ticket prices as cost source of the Rugby Football Union in uh, England. Responding to a seven-figure hike in overheads because of inflation by further increasing ticket prices for the Six Nations this year. So they've opted to add an increase of £5 for England's home fixtures against Scotland and France and £2 for the Italy game. Um, and too late to alter the, the Autumn Internationals, but tickets for the New Zealand game in England costing £179. Um, but they're hoping to bring in more money and all of this coming in, a, in an energy crisis when people can't afford uh, most things, never mind uh, tickets to, to a football event. The back of the Times across the water as well. Smash and grab after woeful first half Spurs ride luck to come from behind and win their group photo of Pierre-Emile Hoybier after his 95th minute winner and he played brilliantly last night for Spurs. Uh, fans may hear VAR decisions. Snippets of conversations between referees and VARs could be made available to fans as football considers ways to improve transparency and explain officiating decisions. A Formula One style approach of broadcasting segments of audio after the event could be introduced and that's certainly one of the best things with Formula One mm-hmm. coverage on, on, on Sky is you can hear the, 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 the box uh, 
coverage between the driver and the, the team and then you can hear some of the decision making between you know, that's kind of stopped between the team principals and, and the FIA as well but certainly an interesting facet to the, to the coverage Wolves close on Lapetegi Wolverhampton Wanderers hoping, hopeful of finally appointing Julian Lapetegi as their new head coach after the former Spain manager changed his mind about taking the position um, the Irish Sun of course the front page Matt Hancock going into the Emerson Celebrity Jungle the less said about that the better uh, just glad I'm not over in the UK dealing with the politics over there at the minute Pierre we go Pierre, smash and grab for top spot Tottenham battle into the Champions League last 16 with the last gasp win at Marseille band boss Antonio Conte watching from the stands for that one uh, big wides cost here Jim O'Sullivan reckons Cork exited the All-Ireland the right way uh, so he's done a couple of interviews in the papers this morning Laurie is the driver Laurie Ryan will miss the Munster Ladies Club Football Final on Sunday as she captains Athlone Town in their first FAI Cup decider we'll speak to Alex Cavanagh of Shells who play um, Athlone in that game at the weekend the Irish Times sports section and the broadsheets are always fun to try and get get open aren't they um, plenty of rugby coverage Gordon Darcy's got his piece in the papers this morning now might be the right time to take a button on Casey he's uh, all behind the Craig Casey train is Gordon Darcy in his front and centre column on the Irish Times today South Africans spring a surprise as Colby named at fullback for the first time interesting enough selection we'll get into it Stephen Kisby Green a little bit later uh, Colby of course named at fullback his previous 20 tests uh, where he was on the right wing uh, world champions add some subtle variations to tried and trusted winning formula uh, what else do we have there yeah but on Jeremy O'Sullivan as well British police sending officers to Qatar to act as buffer for fans uh, fears of England fans inadvertently provoking police during the World Cup causing UK officials to send extra officers to Qatar to de-conflict <laughs> situations sorry, oh, we're used to them it's alright <laughs> we'll send our guys over I was looking at the Rangers headline sorry that's <laughs> like Imp- <laughs> Which Ranger, Rangers set, Rangers a, set new a new mi- record in misery. misery it was like <laughs> the, whoever the sub was having a bit of Rangers fans yeah they won't be happy with this but uh yeah, I think it's officially the worst team because they lost every game and their goal difference of minus 20 means that in, in the group stages it right. was the, the worst official team in Champions League group stage history. Uh, impressive Spurs, so show true grit to storm into last 16. And final two here, Irish Daily Mirror. Klopp vows to fight on. Reds leave it late for morale-boosting group win as boss Jürgen says he's up for battle to beat struggles and spur of the moment as Londoners win group. Uh, finally for me, the Irish Daily Star... Napoli ever after tab of the morning pool delighted to down Italian aces um, interesting Jurgen Klopp's agent Mark Kosicke last night moving to dismiss any suggestion Jurgen Klopp could quit Anfield after claims in Germany he has become fatigued by the challenge uh, Spurs take the long lay to the top I like that uh, Larry's open to date event switch Shane Larry welcoming the Irish Open's date change from July to September even though it won't have a bearing on the 2023 Ryder Cup ok now during the ad break we'll hear Emma Byrne and our own Kathy McNamee on the latest episode of the Koi Gig podcast as the topic of Megan Campbell's incredible throw-ins were discussed on the back of Manchester City's narrow win over Liverpool at the weekend the Koi Gig pod on OTB Sports in association with Cadbury FC official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland's women's national team back after the break as Martin Lipton reflects on Tottenham winning their Champions League group in the most dramatic fashion last night against Marseille. OTB AM. Yeah, welcome back to OTB AM on this Wednesday morning, 14 minutes past eight. Uh, time to reflect on Spurs' win over Marseille last night, clinching that top spot in Champions League Group D. Delighted to say Martin Lipton, the Chief Sports Reporter with The Sun, is on the line with us this morning. Morning, Martin. How are things? Um, OK, thanks. Yeah, very good. You're happy enough? I mean, the, the, uh, the first half was fairly purr from a Spurs perspective, but the reality is it's a results-based business and uh, you got the job done. Yeah, I mean, they, they won, they didn't play well. 
um, have we seen that once or twice? <laughs> yes, we have. It's been a, a story of the of the campaign thus far. Really, they they're still to play. I would say eighty percent of what they're capable, let alone a hundred percent. And yet they are they are grinding out results. And yesterday was was a case in point. Awful first half. Uh, it was only when they conceded a goal that they decided to try and score. Uh, and then second half, once they got back on terms. A little bit shaky at times, you know. Kolasinac is a great chance, but Tottenham had the better opportunities. I guess when you consider, like at halftime, you felt Spurs were going to have to do a lot, and the the table at halftime read Sporting first, Marseille second, Spurs in third, and Frankfurt in fourth. Hard to believe then that those bottom two teams ended up being the two that that progressed to the last sixteen. But I mean, was it the, the switch to three five two that kind of changed things up for Spurs and, and got them into the game a little bit more? Because when Kyungmin's son went off, you're thinking. This is a made a tough task even tougher because you've Rashardson out, you've Kulusevski out. So the fact that they managed to do it in those in those circumstances is is quite even more impressive, Martin. Well, I think the key was actually played twenty yards higher up the pitch. Right. Yeah. Uh, they were just sitting off and let uh, and letting Marseille play in front of them, which is always a dangerous game, particularly when you've got Tottenham's defence. Uh, and lo and behold, they switched off for a goal from a corner, which they were still moaning about the corner, and justifiably so. But that's what happens in football. You've got to take decisions and react to them. Second half, they played much. They were pressing the ball properly. They were playing higher up the pitch. The extra body in midfield allowed that. But they were setting traps for Marseille, which they weren't in the first half. And it went that they were winning the ball back in positions where they could hurt them. It was interesting you brought off Cessnion at half-time because Cessnion had been involved, obviously, in the corner and, um, it, I, I don't know, he could have been one of, uh, I guess, five or six candidates, Martin, at half-time that were that insipid. Yeah, I mean, he, he didn't play well, but none of them did first half, did they? Let's be brutally honest about it. They were lucky to still be in the game. It was, uh, it could have been all over. They could have been two or three down because they were very, very poor. Cessnion, um started at right-back, was switched to left-back, didn't seem to know where he was. Um, sometimes you just need to do a bit of shock therapy don't you in a team to change things up and that's what what happened uh, and it definitely Im- improved the, the way they play for all the stick that Emerson gets uh, it's, it's mainly about his delivery it's not about his defending uh, in terms of one against one I think he always falls asleep at the back post as we saw uh, on Saturday at uh, Bournemouth and again last night for Kolasinic but he actually gives the squad a bit more of the team a bit more definition because he does know the position the the the, the issue there of uh, of Spurs going behind again Martin and we spoke about this yesterday with Gareth Roberts talking about Liverpool as well and it's an issue they've been facing all season but uh, and you saw it with Tottenham at the weekend against Bournemouth as well I mean look they're third in the table uh, in the Premier League they've topped their uh, Champions League group so all is well in that regard but this this trend of going behind in games and and taking taking that uh, concession to to wake themselves up isn't isn't a sign of champion that it's something they're going to have to address. Yeah, it isn't. But I think it's five on the spin now. They've conceded the first goal in all competitions. That's too many. Uh, the last time they didn't was Everton at home. Um, so you're right. It is becoming something of an issue. They've managed to keep on digging themselves out of it a, a lot of the time. You know, the last three matches draw against Sporting when they should have won the match. They were much better second half. Uh, Bournemouth, when the last 20 minutes, they turned it round and again last night. You can't keep on walking on a high wire. You're going to fall off, aren't you? I mean, it's as simple as that. You, it, it's impossible to consistently uh, pull off escape acts. So I think there is a, there's a recognition. The other thing is, it's pretty clear that Conte's basically told them to play with a handbrake on this half of the season. He wants to get through to the World Cup. 
uh, without too much damage. Well, if they can pick up a four points, two points even from the next two league games, then that would have been achieved. Uh, they'll be in the top four or five within touching distance of where they want to be. They're, they are in Europe, in, still in the Champions League. That will be job done as far as Conte is concerned. You, you, you think, I mean, I've heard that before, you think that actually is the case. It, it, it does look actually, it does look like that might be the case when you look at the way they're playing and it is very, very constrained, particularly in the first half and they're kind of trying to do enough and they're in a good position in the league. Yeah, it, I mean, whether it was accident or design, it appears to be the way they play. I mean, it's interesting that listening to the players yesterday, they were admitting that they were playing too deep and standing off. And you do wonder, well, why? Uh, why did you do that? Like the second half, Martin, it was literally like you sent, it was like as if, okay, let's act shit in the first half and let's act like we can play in the second half. It was so different. It was like, yeah. this This can't be, this can't be by accident. You would think not. You, there has to be something in it. It's about, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a sort of rope-a-dope tactic, isn't it? You let them punch themselves out and then strike. And we've seen teams do that in the past. Um but you tend to do that if you've got a solid defence and a team that's conceded 16 goals in the Premier League so far is not, has not got a solid defence by its very nature when they've only played 12 matches. So it's hard to see the the justification for the faith in that regard, in them defensively. But Conte knows a lot, a lot more than I do, a lot better than I do. I, th- I think he genuinely is trying to get through this first half of the season. I think there will be significant reinforcement in January as well. They need two or three better players in various positions. And I think that that will be critical to see to determine where they finish. Last season's January signings were critical. In Kulisevsky, who's much missed at the moment, and Bentancur, they were the big reason for them coming in the top four. Also, Son is still not playing as well as he can, and obviously he got injured yesterday. I think we'll find that he wasn't concussed, even though he was concussed, because if he was concussed, he couldn't play on Sunday, so therefore he wasn't concussed, even though he was concussed, if that mm. makes some sort of sense, uh, because that's what happens in football. Um, there's a lot more to come, there's no doubt about that, but there needs to be as well. Uh, some of the, the positive performers then last night, Martin, I mean, you look at Clement Longley, one of the uh, unlikely scorers, I guess, last night, when you looked at it from the outset, but... Um, and maybe it's because he's a Frenchman and, and wanted to perform against Marseille in, in the, the Velodrome, but he played really, really well, and even not just in terms of the goal, but the interceptions he had at the back as well. Someone like Pierre-Emil Hoybier was, was, was brilliant. Um, and you look at Denmark's World Cup, and if he, can, if he can play like that, I mean, they can do anything in the World Cup. So some very good standout performers, especially in the second half. Yeah, I mean, Hoybier's been Tottenham's best player this season, without a doubt for me. He's been the most consistent, the most impressive, He's added goals to his game, which he didn't really have. He had one or two a season before, and he's got more than that already. That was a belting finish last night. He probably It was actually harder than the one he hit the bar mm. with, I think. <laughs> uh, but he keeps on making those runs and keeps on trying. I think that's really important. Longley is finding his feet. He's been there three months now. Uh, he, one of the reasons they brought him in was his experience, and also because he was available. He wasn't first choice, second choice, or third choice for that role of left-sided centre-half, but he was available. They've got him in on loan. Uh, I would be surprised still if they turn it into a permanent deal, but you never know. If he keeps on performing, then that may may change. Um, but yeah, the pair of them played well. I think, you know, Luis made the saves he had to make last night. Even his distribution was typically Luisian, shall we say. Um, Dyer had a wobbly period, but when it mattered, he came, came strong. Bentancor drove them forward second half. Kane was basically a one-man att- attack and was occupying defenders and 
when it really mattered, his run led to the winning goal. You, you got to have sympathy for Conte and other managers as well, Martin, haven't you? Because they're they're throwing this like almost inhumane schedule where, you know, and and if Spurs collapse in the second half of the season, we'll all be like calling for his head. Where, you know, he's uh, I'm sure Jurgen Klopp seemed to be compelled to play a very good team last night purely because they needed a win, which is completely counterintuitive for players that probably need a break. And I I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be a manager. Put it that way. It is difficult. They're all having to balance things they've never had to balance before. Uh, and it does make things tricky. And I think you can look across Europe, a lot of teams are not performing to the highest level. Uh, also, we've got the situation, I think, for the next two weekends, a lot of players will be wary about getting injured. Mm. They won't want to, so they won't be completely committed because they want to play in the World Cup. And I think all of these factors are, are completely unusual and alien. Uh, I mean, it's hard enough in a regular season with the amount of games, but compressing the Champions League into an eight-week period, which has been done this season, as opposed to the 12 weeks it's normally played over, uh, the extra... Then we've had in this country, you know, the the extra chaos that's been caused by um, the the, the aftermath of the Queen's death, so no-one quite knows when matches were being played, and all these sort of things have added to added to the chaos and you've got this World Cup and a six week break and how do you look after players A the ones who aren't going to the World Cup and B the ones who are going to the World Cup because unlike the rest of Europe which waits until January and sometimes quite deep into January before restarting you know in England we're we're kicking off again all these League Cup matches on the Tuesday after the World Cup final and a Premier League fixture list on Boxing Day I mean you could argue that it's utterly bizarre and bonkers but that's the nature of the beast it is yeah and like you know you hear about Conte's training sessions it must be really difficult for him how do you how do you go into pre-season and get this right and talk to your your, your experts and S&C guys and I mean how, how do you plan for this like there's no is there even a precedent for the madness that this entails no it's completely unprecedented no one really no one will know how to deal with it properly until we've been, they've been through it and then they'll hope to never have to deal with it again although I start to suspect that 2030 uh, may prove that you can have two Winter World Cups inside a decade. We will see. Um, But you're right, and it's for every manager. Particularly those with the the vast number of players who are going to go to Qatar for the World Cup. They have even trickier tasks than the ones further down the league who've maybe got uh, two or three, a handful of players going. But everyone's got got to sort out how they work it out. Do they do a full second pre-season? Do they give them two weeks off uh, and then a gentle week and then a week of hard training? It's not clear. No one really knows what the answer is. And you'll only be able to to say for certain when you've gone through it. At least you'll know then what works and what doesn't work uh, because it is a step into the unknown for everybody. You mentioned Hugo Lloris there a minute ago, Martin, and um, I think last night like he got a tasty reception from the Marseille fans. It was his first time back since he was there with Leon ten years ago, um, and I mean he's been under fire for some criticism recently. I know the first goal they conceded against Newcastle, for example, a couple of mistakes against Arsenal for Gabriel Jesus. Um, so he certainly had his fair share of criticism. I played quite well last night, but like, has he answered questions over the criticism he's got since the start of the season? I know Fraser Forster's waiting in the wings, but I mean, there are still probably some questions among Spurs fans as to Hugo Lloris and his uh, his form. Yeah, look, I think that Lloris is still a pretty good shot stopper. Always has been. Likewise, distribution has never been his strong point. You wouldn't work in, want him working in a parcel office, would you? Because you'd never get anything delivered. <laughs> um, 
but he does make a lot of big saves. And the great thing about all good goalkeepers, particularly those of experience, is they don't worry about making mistakes. They think mistakes are an occupational hazard and they don't dwell on them, whereas younger goalkeepers tend to. Now, I think you could say that Lloris has made a few, but stats-wise, that his, his stats in terms of ex- expected goals against and goals you can see, they stack up pretty highly still. He is capable of making big, big saves, and he's a big character within the dressing room. The other players like him a lot. And whilst the fans may not be completely convinced and may wonder if it's time after nearly, well, it's a decade now, that maybe it's time to think about replacing him, that isn't the biggest concern at Tottenham by a long way. You know, there's others who I'd get in and change first before I think about Lloris. I think he may have one more season at Tottenham. I thought he might have gone a year or two ago, actually, but now he's now he's here again. I think he might do one more year. Um, if they could get someone in who's sort of 27, 28, right experience to do the next 10 years, then, then maybe you think about it. But you don't change for the sake of changing. And I mean, Forster's gone there knowing he's second choice. He doesn't think he's first choice. He's not going to try and, you know, the, his first match will now, I think, be next week against Forest in the uh, in the League Cup. And we're into the middle of November by then. You, met, you mentioned that there are other areas of the pitch that maybe they could start looking at improving first. Like, are there any players, standout players that they've been either linked with or that have maybe impressed you during the Champions League group stages or otherwise that, that you think, right, there's a, a shoe in for Tottenham? Yeah, look, I mean, I think the, the, the real interest is whether he does p- pursue Mad- Madison. Uh, because I think the one thing you look at Tottenham and you can anyone can say they lack is a real creative midfielder, someone who can thread the the needle, and someone who can take free kicks as well. Because whilst they're scoring, they've scored a lot of goals from set pieces. Direct free kicks haven't been a threat for quite a long time. Actually, um, Kane must be unbelievable in training because he takes them always, and they never come close to the net in the match. But there you go. Um, I think they also they, they could do with them, you know, and they got three right backs on the right wing backs on the books, and he obviously has doubts about all of them for different reasons. Uh, and I still think they could do with a powerful centre half. Um, they've looked at Bastoni and and others, and none of them have actually happened yet. Let's just see where it goes. Uh, huge game on Sunday for for Tottenham, uh, Martin, and for Liverpool. I mean, it's it's taken on quite a bit of significance this match as well. Now, half past four on Sunday, live commentary here and off the ball as well. Um, but I mean, we look at the table, Spurs. So five points off Arsenal's lead with a game more played. Liverpool back in in ninth. I mean, it, both teams need a win. I don't know who needs the win more, potentially Liverpool. But I mean, it's going to be a cracker. Look, if Spurs win, it would be a huge game because it's the first big match they've won this season. Uh, Liverpool if Liverpool lose they're 13 points behind Tottenham more importantly they're so far behind Arsenal they might as well give up do ask do the Liverpool players how motivated are they for the rest of the season if they're playing for fourth because that's what they will be doing if they lose so it's I think it's it's a bigger game in many respects for Liverpool because they can't afford to, to they need to win Spurs would want to win Liverpool need to win because if Liverpool lose their their season has been in terms of winning something domestic in the, in the Premier League is gone because they're not going to get that back. So it's it's huge. But Tottenham haven't played well against the big teams. They've played them all away, which I think is 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 a factor. If you look so far, uh, the t- only two games in the amongst the big six have not been won by the home team, and they both involved Chelsea at home to 
um, Spurs and United. All the other games have been won by the home side. And Spurs have gone away to Chelsea, Arsenal and United. But in all three games, they were awful. So they need to put in a performance as well. Yeah, we'll watch that game with interest on, on Sunday. Uh, Martin, great stuff as always. Thanks a million this morning. Take care. Bye-bye. Lovely stuff. Martin Lipton there, Chief Sports Reporter with The Sun at half past eight on this Wednesday morning OTBM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember effortless shave magnificent Mo you can sign up or donate now at Movember.com turning our attention to rugby Ireland's huge match with South Africa this Saturday who better to do that with than OTB's own resident Springbok Stephen Kisby Green Stephen very good morning morning Jay morning Johnny no jersey clash I was just going to say I was expecting the jersey this morning nah not today got to be, gotta be neutral, from you. got to be nice and pristine for the for the weekend when I'm in the, in the stands fair fair um, speaking of the jerseys what did you make of the I mean the, the jersey clash is ridiculous I know we were talking earlier this morning like, I know the away team gets to wear their choice is it yeah the Irish two away jerseys are basically similar surely we have yeah. the we're allowed to wear the green Stephen well no, so the way rugby works is the home team wears the alternate kit mm. like it goes into the history of the fact that oftentimes a travelling t- team probably wouldn't have had their, their away kit with them because of various reasons so the, the team that has access to all of their kits at their home would be able to swap, would be able to swap. Um, but yeah it makes absolutely zero sense for the only um country that, so that, that Ireland play that have a kit clash to beat South Africa and they make the jersey almost identical in colour to the South Africans. It's, it's one of those things where we're, we're, we're talking about it now and anyone who sees the papers or listens or hears the reports on the jersey clash is going to be like, well, he's going to know about it in advance but there's going to be a whole army of people just tuning in to the match on the weekend going, what, what's going on here? Like both in the stadium and on TV, it's going to be balls. I think the argument that the kit designers probably have is that South Africa never have a kit clash with the, with the All Blacks, and they wear all black. But the, the problem is, the All Blacks is jet black. The Springboks is that dark green with the white shorts. The Irish away kit, or alternates kit, is a almost off-black type green with like a green stripe. And it just it looks so similar in in hue to the the dark green of the Springboks. Granted, that by the looks of things, they're going to be wearing dark shorts, so you can d- differentiate the two by the by the color of the Springboks shorts. But it it's honestly the most ridiculous thing I've ever I've ever seen in my life. We we saw it five years ago when South Africa came to Dublin. The exact same thing happened. There was outcry by from all people in the stands, but they couldn't see who, who was who. Add to that, it was dark and, and and miserable as it's supposed to be on Saturday. It's just it, it's a perfect um, combination of what is wrong with the commercialization of rugby jerseys and jerseys in general. They, they designed a hideous kit to be sold because it's different to their to their home kit, and they didn't take into account any of the actual factors that go into an actual alternate kit. The, like Mick said it last night on on air. Ireland would be better off wearing their home kit. And if you actually look at the two jerseys side by side, 100%, the Irish home jersey is lighter and com- and different entirely to the Springboks home jersey. You can legitimately wear both teams' home jerseys, and although they're both green, so the referee might have to come up with a different, like we would say green or gold, for example, roll away, Aside from that, the referee having a bit of a struggle remembering which, which side he's declared as green, it's, it makes no sense for them not to wear the home jerseys. Mm. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. Isn't like, it bizarre? It's not like this two-ball game or whatever. You see the women's team wearing the orange and uh, 
in Scotland and um, how iconic that jersey has gotten and uh, it's lovely to see that we, we have our memories of like the orange in uh, Macedonia not so much but I, I, I just thought this was, like how, how could this happen Like, well the, the, the scary thing is the Springboks are so big that them running at you is scary enough but if you don't see them coming because of the jerseys well, that just adds to it <laughs> I mean th- that might be a sly tactic on the Irish part so the, m- maybe the Springboks will get confused they don't know well, which, they, they don't know which is their teammate so they'll just pass randomly and then hopefully you'll get into second <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe that's maybe that's how they're doing it but it's, it's is there, so what about socks and, and shorts and all that how is that going to class as, f- as far as I know um, I haven't seen the I, I, we've only seen from the knees up of the of the away kit or the alternate kit sorry as, as I say so it's black shorts a off off green black top um and I think probably a black sock um that would make sense bear with the rest of it it could be this traditional home green sock which again would make zero sense but of course who cares about what actually looks good as long as you sell jerseys mm. um this yeah and obviously the springboks will be wearing their their green and gold with the white shorts and then the green and gold socks Unless they pull a late change and actually wear white, which I think is their current away kit. Unless it's that god awful red orangey thing that they wore uh, four years ago. I don't. Think, I actually can't remember the last time I've seen the Springboks playing an alternate jersey. The only time it was that god awful um, orangey thing in, in uh, Mumbella Stadium. <laughs> uh, Stephen, the Springboks name. They're they're twenty three yesterday. Um, this back three, talk to us about this this South African back three because it's um, it's terrifying on paper. Um, like, where, where do you want to start? It, it it's Chesney Kobe starting a fullback for the first time. Uh, it's quite interesting as well. So a few different strands to this team that that um, stood out. Yeah, I would argue this is probably the most terrifyingly deadly looking back three that a world Re- that an international team can put out. I'm not saying that they're the best because that, that, that's too arrogant, but like just in terms of the fear, the fear factor that they've got on their, their speed, their agility, their counter-attacking ability, their ability under the high ball, it's, it is dynamic. And just to say the words dynamic of a Springbok back three is kind of like um, oxymoronic. <laughs> but Cheslin Colby is one of the hottest steppers in the world. This has been widely known for since 2018 or 2019 when he broke um, uh, Owen Farrell's ankles. Um, but th- now you've got Colby 2.0 and Curtly Aronser on the wing. Um, li- literally, f- his career path has followed identically to uh, Colby. He's just three years behind. So maybe in the next two years, he'll be, he'll be going over to France. Um, but so you've got, you got those two br- brilliant hot steppers and the pace that they've got and the ability they've got to, to get around the outside. And then you've got Makazola Mapimpi, who's one of the m- most prolific finishers at the moment. He's got speed to, to, um, to, to burn, and there's ba- basically it's, it's a matter of how much, ball time, how much time with, with ball in hand they get. Now, um, there, there is a bit of a, a weakness in a way in the, in the fact that Colby and Aronson are both on the short side. So against um, a box kick, for example, or a, a deeper kick that's a contestable in the air, you might favor the taller man, theoretically Gary Ringrose or... Um, uh, Mac Hansen is not, not too much taller than the two of them, but... He's probably jumped a little bit higher than maybe maybe Aronson. I don't know about Colby, but he can probably get above Aronson. So if uh, if the if the Irish look to exploit the the, the kicking game that, that that way, there could be a bit of a weakness there. But what I do like is the fact that 
Colby has never started a test match at, at 15, but he's mm. been playing uh, 15 in France and playing a bit of 10. He's basically been moved all over the back line except for the centres. And what he, what he brings to the South African, uh, granted it's an untested uh, system, but what he brings to the South African system is a second receiver role that we haven't had for a while, and that's one that is, the, like, he's very similar to Damien Willemser in the way that he can attack the line, he can exploit that space, and he can hit the shoulder. But he's also got that bit of a sort of sleight of hand, a an out the out the back sort of pass. He's you, you don't know what he's going to do when he's got ball in hand, and for a second receiver to have that in South Africa without any kicking game. Now, I don't think Colby has too much of a kicking game. He can probably chip and chase, and he can probably put a grubber in. But I wouldn't trust him to to, to put a cross kick over um, to to Mapimpi or put an up and under up. So. Having a the only other fly off option being Colby for this weekend, uh, unless he really wanted to put um, Valila Rue in there, um, not not being a dynamic attacking kicker of the ball is interesting and, and sort of sort of shows that whilst South Africa are saying that they're going to be playing their traditional Bach rugby, it probably won't be as as, as everyone else as boring as you might actually imagine. Like uh, Kurt Lawrence, who, who you mentioned, the, the pace of him in particular when you watch the Bulls is is standout. And is that the thinking then? So Colby, as you said, like his previous twenty caps were on the wing. So to to get him into fullback for the first time, is that just to to make way for someone like Kurt Lawrence in the team as well? Potentially, it could more. I think it's more the fact of trying to make way for for Colby at the, at the moment. Right. Yeah. You can't. Exa- I mean, unless Lawrence gets banned again for a a very stupid tackle that he made then it was a rifle ban um, I, you can't really shoehorn him out of the squad in the form that he's in at the moment and Valila Rue adds a bit more versatility and I, I know I've just rant and rave about Colby's versatility but it's, it's a different type of versatility to what LaRue has mm. LaRue has a little bit more experience he's a little bit more level headed in a way yeah so putting him on the bench basically allows the South Africans to go full, full on counter attack and full on structured play in the in the first half. With Larue being able to exploit a bit of tired bodies in the second half, wherever he comes on, and because he's got the most experience lining up as the second receiver for South Africa behind Pollard, he's got that ability to play the more structured and more. Um, South African style of play in the second half when you might need him to do that. So probably it, it, it's partially because you want Kudley Aronser in the starting twenty, uh, starting fifteen. But then you've also got the the, the ability of of Colby to sort of he, he'll have more time on the ball at fullback. I think he'll be brought into the attack line a lot more often because Jesse Creel, for all his good his good attributes, oftentimes he won't get the ball out to the wings and he'll close the space by running laterally. And you don't want to do that when you've got Colby outside you. You'd rather be you'd rather let Colby be the second receiver, and then he offloads to to Creel in space. What about this massive pack, South African pack, uh, and the bomb squad? I mean, huge, and that's an area that the the Irish team will have will have targeted in training, no doubt, and tried to work out ways of manipulating and 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 getting one over. But that's not easily done. What can you do? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what do you do? I mean, the, the easiest way to, to do it, and Rory O'Connor was talking about it last night, is try and move them around. But the problem is, South Africa are so dominant at the breakdown, if they don't get over the ball, they, they slow you down. So 
Ireland will try as much as they can to run South Africa ragged, but it's the, the, the problem is trying to get that quick ball. Like going up against Ibn Etzebeth, Lodi Yacha, and Peter Steftetoy, and then you've got Franco Mostert on the bench, it's just the, the, that second row is massive and physical and dominant. It's imp- I, I, I don't see how Ireland have the physicality to match them. But now the problem is you can't, like, n- no team in world rugby realistically has the physicality to match the Springboks. Maybe France on their day, if, they've, if, they, if they're fully fit, but the French 23 have never been fully fit in the past three years. So, like, there's always been chopping and changing. No, you've never had the best team on the, on the park. With the best team on the park, maybe France can, can match them. England just just below par, but um, the Irish, what they need to do, what I what I would say they would need to do is try and get Detroit, Etzebeth, and Diaka in particular out of the breakdown as much as possible by forcing no breakdown. So basically, recycling the ball so quickly with pop passes, offloads, and basically do not create a ruck situation. And then on the opposite side of the, of the ball, when you've got the likes of Diaka. Um, uh, Etzebeth Visa carrying into you it's gang tackles it's get, allowing Tigburn if he's able to play don't know if he's fit enough at the moment but if he's able to play al- allowing Tigburn to get over the ball and turn over the possession effectively you want to starve to the Springboks of possession in, the, in that first 40 minutes because if they do have the ball they will pummel the Irish into submission and then in the second half they'll just take over we all remember the famous slash infamous quotes from Jake White before the 2004 November Internationals where he said he wouldn't pick one Irish player in the South African team in Ireland. <laughs> Went and beat them then three days later. Uh, it's, it's all been a bit more friendly on this occasion. Stephen, in the, certainly in the press conferences, Nino Burr has been full of praise for Johnny Sexton and saying, you know, at 37, he's, he's this and that and he's one of the best players and he's like a quarterback and, and all this. Um, how do the South Africans really feel about Ireland at the minute? I said on Friday it's a healthy respect, and it's legitimately that. Uh, South Africa viewed this as the match of the series. It's the, I mean, South Africa have arguably the, the, the well, maybe not arguably, factually, the most, most difficult November series of the Southern Hemisphere teams, playing world number one, world number two, get a quote-unquote rest week where they can be a little bit more experimental against Italy, and then they're playing England in a out-of-test window match. So basically quite a few of these uh, French and English-based South Africans are not able to play. So basically uh, South Africa are coming and hoping they can get three wins out of four. But if they get two, it's actually probably a successful successful window. They want to win on Saturday, but I don't think they think it's a guaranteed win. I mean, look what happened when they came here five years ago. It was... Abysmal. We remember, yeah. I mean, uh, granted, the, 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 the South African side and that South African side are like chalk and cheese. Mm. Um, but uh, no, it's legitimately, I think South Africa view this as the biggest match of the of their series. They think that, it, I, personally, I think that if South Africa win well, it's, it's not so much winning, but it's winning well, and it's the manner of the win that South Africa need to, to get right. They'll be very confident moving into the World Cup next year. I'm not saying that they're going to win it off the back of whatever happens this, this November. I'm not saying they'll be favourites off the back of whatever happens this November. But in, in in the camp, if they if they can actually if they can do like do, do to Ireland what Ireland did to South Africa five years ago, they'll be floating on cloud nine and. It all really depends on what happens then in France a week later to see how they actually see whether or not they view this 
this this is as a, this tour as a success. Yeah, be interesting to see who shows the cards as well ahead of the World Cup next year in terms of shadow boxing or not or going all out. Stephen, finally predictions. Um, be honest, come on, you can hurt you can hurt us if you want. Uh, here. Nobody throw beers at me at, uh, at in the stand that he's bought me. Um, <laughs> it's uh, I, th- I think South Africa probably going to win it by about six points. I'd say I'm not going to give a score, but I'll give a, a, a margin. I think it probably six points. I don't think Willemse will have the right uh, the the accuracy of the tee, but I think they might be able to to get the get the win on tries. Fair play, Stephen. Thanks, many as always. We have one of the comments in from Danger Dave. Hit rugby. But love listening to this South African. Ah, that's a nice compliment. Stephen Gisby Green, thank you as always. So that's uh, so that is a bit of a build up, Johnny, for for Saturday. I'm uh, yeah. I'm just trying to see what the um, the actual the line is. is yeah, um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's probably not far off that. And uh, you know, I I I'm obviously a floating voter. I was minded to uh, see this uh, Ireland are world number one. So um, how <laughs> warranted is that? And. What'll the atmosphere be like, actually? Because I've like I've spoken about this before. I think it'll be I think it'll be excellent on Saturday. I I've the Six Nations games I've been at were so underwhelming, like so underwhelming. I was like, it was it was, it was almost like just like a, lo- a bunch of day trippers who just wanted to go on the beer, like yeah. And, and like that's 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 well and good. And I, I'm sure I had a couple of beers this game. And I was like, where's the where's your pride? To quote Kieran Fitzgerald in the old lands on road where the place would be like you know Marseille last night. It was it was crap. And maybe Ireland were just dominant in the games. I don't think that'll happen on Saturday. I think uh, maybe Saturday will be a bit like the old lands. But like Jerry Thorny has spoken about it in the Irish Times, and you know the the issue of of the atmosphere of these games. Um, some crowd issues in terms of the attendance has been down in rugby as well in Ireland. So it'll be, yeah, maybe it'll be a chance for rugby fans to show that they can make noise as well. Fans will be able to tell who's who scored the try because the jerseys will be that similar. Oh, so it'll be that issue. That's a joke. Like. Ah, that's madness. Cal Milani, good morning. Morning, lads. How's it going? This jersey clash is a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, I, I'm just saying, like, Ireland had a really nice white shirt, mm. if memory serves. Just wear the white you, shirt. You can't really go wrong with white, I mean, in terms of a jersey design. It's always been a thing in Gaelic where you'd, both teams would wear their alternative, isn't that the, So it's like you've three different types of rugby, soccer, and Gaelic. Uh, I know there's, com- there's commercial things here where like we have to wear this jersey because we have to sell this jersey for Christmas and blah 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 so a away jersey or an alternate jersey shouldn't be altogether similar to the home jersey for obvious reasons I mean you will yeah. probably play South Africa and Australia at some stage <laughs> why would you I mean exasperation Johnny exasperation with these decisions that are made by top brass but anyway it's just one of those things as long as we win the game, who cares what jersey we're in? Yeah, maybe it'll help. The jersey yeah. will become famous then. Um, um, watching any of the Champions League last night, Carl? Yeah, keeping an eye on it. Um, good result for Liverpool. Obviously, a couple of late goals, and that was a big result for Spurs, wasn't it? I mean, uh, to grind it out there with Conte in the stands and stuff like that. I kind of this season have been. I kind of tip Spurs at the start of the season to really make an impact, and I guess on the face of it, they have like they're third in the league and they're through to the last sixteen in the Champions League, but. The manners of performances wouldn't suggest that they're really in that top tier of clubs where they can challenge Manchester City right now. Um, can anyone? I, yeah. I would have a lot of faith in Conte to to really bring them on if he does stay. Uh, the question is whether he will stay mm. and whether he will get the backing in the transfer market to really get the investment that he needs. And they've got another big game on Sunday against Liverpool. So when you look at the the teams that are now through to the last sixteen in the Champions League, so you've got Napoli, Liverpool, Porto, Club Rouge. Bayern Munich, Inter Milan, Spurs, Eintracht Frankfurt, Chelsea, Real Madrid, Man City, Borussia Dortmund, PSG and Benfica. And then to join them tonight, either AC Milan or RB Salzburg, and either RB Leipzig or Shakhtar Donetsk. Like Liverpool, it's hard to know what to make of last night, ending a 21-game unbeaten run for Napoli. Uh, Darwin Nunez is chaos. 
I mean, look, he scored the tap in goal last night, and his goals per minutes ratio is actually really good. Mm. But he's just—it's hard to know what to make of him. He's—he's he's like a—I think the lads um, on CBS Sports last night, like Carragher, compared him to Fernando Torres, and said, "Look, Torres, when we, he was playing on that Liverpool team, we knew he could score goals. We knew he was good. But you know, he'd give the ball away every now and again, and a little bit unpredictable. There is that little bit about Torres or someone like that about Darwin Nunez. He's hard—it's hard to work him out, isn't it? I'm not sure as he's." As polished as Not as polished, Torres. definitely not, no. Not yet, anyway. Mm. But um, you can definitely see the raw potential there, but what Liverpool really need now is players at the top end of their game that are able to contribute. Like, I mean, Mane's gone. <laughs> uh, you know, Nunes, just a little bit raw. Just a little bit raw. But I think, you know, talking about the, the last 16 and stuff like that, Liverpool have the capabilities and the tradition to, to lift their game for a once-off fixture and they're going to get a tough draw in the last 16 because they finished second in their group that's the thing and if, if they were to get knocked out in the last 16 where is the season going then because it just be, literally does become a battle to finish fourth and that, like, that's massively anticlimactic and then you wonder if the German reports are right that Klopp is a bit fatigued maybe he is that could be very challenging in a few months I've said it a million times just in the last two weeks alone I think managers have an awfully difficult problem here with the amount of games and how do you manage it and I was surprised that he played so many marquee players last night because I don't think he did in fairness I don't think he had an alternative option because they're, mm. they are stretched but really Liverpool players need they need to be rested for the Spurs game which is massive yeah I, I guess the positive shoots from, from Liverpool last night Kanate back in mm. definitely is the man to have alongside Van Dijk yeah. and, and Matip, Matip's a good player but when you see Kanate he just adds that little bit of, of strength he's definitely been a loss he has yeah, maybe so, Maybe Van Dijk has suffered as well as a consequence yeah you know. Calvin Ramsey you see coming off the bench last night There's a little, there's, he has something as well um, not 100% sure on Curtis Jones I know Klopp spoke fairly positively last night after the game about him but he's quite raw as well um, but, but a dangerous player and, and can can do it. It's just it's remarkable to see Liverpool's like sixteen points in the Premier League from twelve games, fifteen points in the Champions League from six games. Like the difference in form. Yeah. Maybe it's it did include the Napoli away game as well though, which was probably the most worrying forms in years yeah. for Liverpool and some of that first half. Um and in the league they've minus goal difference if you take away the Bournemouth game. Yeah. Which is bonkers. <laughs> like absolutely yeah. bonkers. This is a team that steamrolls. I they still have a lot of lot of issues, I think. Yeah. Mm. I just wonder this season is going to be so strange with the World Cup. Mm. That's nearly a chance to reset mm. for the likes of Liverpool. And we just don't know what sort of an impact the World Cup's going to have on teams post Christmas. Mm. Um so it's very much up in the air. And then you talk about top four, I mean, you wouldn't say that Chelsea or Spurs or United are shown the sort of form that will suggest that they're guaranteed to be in the top four. Mm. Uh, so there is still a lot of hope for Liverpool, but it, I think, as you say, they are fatigued, probably, and the World Cup will offer them a chance to reset, including their manager, who has become very prickly in his uh, media dealings. I watched his press conference earlier in the week, and uh, you know, he strikes me as a, a person that's under a lot of pressure, that's feeling the, the heat right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, like it was his 400th game, I think, last night yeah. as well. So it was a bit of a milestone moment for him. But he just, yeah, there's something touchy about him that that hasn't. Maybe it's always been there. We're just noticing it because they're they're losing games. But well, I guess naturally he's a winner. So yeah, he doesn't like losing. You, you have to remember, right? We we like years ago. You played your game on a Saturday, right? And you prepared for your Saturday. Now he has to go in day after day after day. You have a game on the Tuesday oh, after playing like late. We'll say on the Saturday, and it's just like. It mentally must be so draining, and then you're under the press conference straight into a pre-match press yeah. conference. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. And it's like, I don't know. He's on. I'm sure he's on a lot of money, and he lives a great life. But this is pressure. It's really tough. Yeah, not, not easy. Not mind the players who just you have to perform despite the fact that it's inhumane what they're being asked to do. Ah, it's for this stupid World Cup in December. Like, do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, and as soon as like the Napoli's only over now, automatically the ten- tension turns straight away to the Spurs game of the weekend as well. There's no no rest for the wicked. Uh, what else is happening, Cal, this morning? Well, Mo Salah equal, uh, equaled uh, Stephen Jarrett's tally of 41 European goals for Liverpool last night in that game in their 2-0 win over Napoli. Spurs advanced from Group D following a 2-1 way, win away to Marseille. Rangers, by the way, completed their Group A campaign with six defeats out of six, losing 3-1 at home to Ajax, and they have the worst... Uh, Champions League group record of minus 20 goal difference after their campaign. Tonight, Celtic conclude their campaign hasn't gone well for them either. They'll finish bottom of Group F regardless of their result away to the Champions Real Madrid. Erling Haaland missing from Manchester City tonight. They take on Sevilla and in Group E, Chelsea's campaign concludes at home to Dinamo Zagreb City and Chelsea both already through. Uh, some news on the Gaelic Games front in terms of provisional fixtures for the Allianz Leagues. All-Ireland Champions Limerick will begin their Allianz Hurling League campaign away to Cork in early February in football the All-Ireland Champions Kerry set to begin their Division 1 campaign away to Donegal at the end of January Mayo managed by Kevin McStay set to play Galway in their first outing on the 28th of January that's a Saturday evening fixture provisionally at McHale Park and a provisional list of fixtures has been circulated to counties ahead of the new season it could be the subject of change but that is unlikely I think the other two Division 1 football fixtures are Monaghan against Armagh and Roscommon at home to Tyrone uh, in Camogie Sean Power appointed as the new manager of Waterford they reached the semi-final stage last year before losing to Cork in the last four uh, Power previously guided the county to All-Ireland success at minor and under 21 level the Ireland A team to play in All Blacks 15 on Friday will be announced today Munster second row Tom O'Hearn misses out there due to a shoulder injury Mark Allen in action at the Snooker Champion of Champions event in Bolton today he plays Joe Perry and there's racing at Dundalk where the first goes to post at 2 o'clock we were having a debate earlier, Carl, about um, <laughs> commentators in football and Jonathan Lewis yes, in the Guardian. I read that. I read that. That's pretty uh, first call, I think. Well, Carl is yeah. a commentator, so yeah. we have to get his take on it. I mean, it's uh, it's a two-footed tackle from Jonathan Lou on commentators generally. It's like he's, basically, he's basically saying, "Shut up." Yeah, I don't want to hear you. And now I, I, I went in two-footed on on Martin Tyler a little bit earlier. I thought he's lost his uh, pizzazz that he used to have. What What's your take on, on Jonathan Lou's comments, Carl? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's very hard to know. I mean, um, I think a commentator does add, like, um, for example, my earliest memory of a uh, Republic of Ireland goal is Matt Holland against mm. Cameroon in the World Cup, and I can r- rhyme off George Hamilton's commentary mm-hmm. uh, from that goal. 20 years later. was it there? Uh, and that's come out to Holland. 1-1, Matty Holland has put Ireland right back in the match. That's fabulous. <laughs> They came out reborn. Steve Finnan added more. They played the game in the Cameroon half. And Matt Holland does what he does so well from that kind of range. No chance the goalkeeper. And it's one apiece. Okay, there's something. Okay. Jesus. The fact so, that you remember, so again, you were born somewhat as a commentator, whether you knew it or not that day. Uh, well, I don't know. Ernest. Uh, I mean, how moment, can you remember yeah. that? I think that I think that, that could be a little bit off. But I think that's it. But um, it's, probably, it's probably not off at all. No. That's what, I, uh, that's what I remember. So when you're talking about commentators, I think they do add to the key moments in mm. football over the years I mean George Hamilton is synonymous with yeah. so many big Irish football moments um, holds his breath and in fairness I think with George you see the problem as well is and I'm sorry I'm interrupting Carly, but the problem as well is say the likes of Tommy Walsh right Yeah, Tommy Walsh is so good that my fear is that he'll, be, he'll know he's so good that he'll feel under pressure to remain that good and that'll change him because he'll try that extra bit harder to be that good it. and overthink it and commentators as we were saying earlier this will be like this will be all over YouTube or it'll be all over social media if you get this right and that changes you George Hamilton didn't have that concern in Italian 90 he, he knew a nation was holding its worth mm. 
Um, I, I just read Lou's piece there. He got, very airy, fairy, some of it. Like, but he's like, there's a bit in the Tempest where Prospero was making a long, rambling speech to Miranda when he suddenly blurts out, "Dost thou attend me?" It's addressed to Miranda, but really, it's addressed to the audience. Hey, are you listening? This is the commentator's real job these days to remind us when we need to run back from the kitchen. But we've said that earlier. Like Tyler yeah. doesn't really do that anymore. Yeah. Um, do you enjoy my experience? Uh, like, I came from. I started doing radio commentary uh, first, where obviously you're very descriptive, mm. and then. I was doing a bit on Watch LOI uh, yeah. and uh, you watch it back and you're like, no, I'm way too descriptive there. Like, I don't need to. Well, do, you, do you listen to yourself back? Well, I had to. I, I watched some of it back because a guy actually tweeted me and he said, are you getting paid by the minute or by the word rather? Because you're saying so much. So I watched it back and I was In like. Watch LOI, that's a nominal about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, he, but obviously I was talking well, way too much. You're ex-radio. But I was, t- I was talking way too much. Yeah, you're ex-radio. It's like you do watch it back and you're like, well. You know, I could let it breathe there. I could let it breathe there. Mm. So it's a very different kind of skill, um, and I, I still, still a lot to learn about it. But um, I do take his point that commentators can you can rein yourself in sometimes and just let the, the action play out uh, on the screen. But without a commentator at all, I'm not so sure. Well, Cal, if it's any consolation, I think you're brilliant, and uh, okay. you, oh. you speak the perfect amount. <laughs> you're just saying that now. <laughs> just just say it because that. you're beside me. <laughs> uh, Cal Milani, thanks as always thanks, this morning. Lads. Good stuff. OTBM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. It's just approaching 9am on this Wednesday morning. After the break, we'll be live in studio with Alex Kavanagh, straight from her latest Women's National League title win with Shelburne last weekend. Scored a goal as well. First, Dan McDonald was on the show last night talking about Virgil van Dijk's form and attitude this season. Back after this. To be fair, the Leeds game is is an interesting one in that they still created a lot of chances and Darwin Nunes, for one, should have taken some of them. There was the one where he should have lifted it over the keeper a bit earlier. He went more for power and Melier made lots of saves. None of them were world class. No. They were doing your job, as a certain pundit might say. Yeah. And the other thing which jumped out was a point of attitude maybe with different players there are different things going on with Van Dijk it's hard to figure out the malaise but certainly if you think of the Van Dijk that we saw against Manchester City sliding full length to stop crosses coming in so sharp and on top of everything and then you think of the Van Dijk for instance for the um, the Gomez mistake now ultimately it's Gomez's mistake and it's unfortunate Alisson slips but you just feel like the Van Dijk that we saw against Manchester City was more on his toes more alive to mm. danger was just so flat-footed to that moment even happening. And again, it's dreadful from Gomez. I, I had a glance back at it. He never once looked up at Alison to see where Alison was. He was operating entirely on assumption. And so the fault does rest with him, and it's unfortunate. Alison slips. But th- that Van Dyke moment of just complete flatness. Yeah. You know, I, if he hadn't been so good against City, then you would say, oh, there's something off there. Uh, like physically, or maybe he's not, he's, you know, he's head isn't right in some way well, well sorry I do think it's that his head's not right well yeah it must I be uh, not, his head's not right but I don't know like is the city just that like he, you know the great players can elevate themselves for a performance but it could be something physically that like over time it just catches hmm. you know that that it's yes like you know will, what, will, what will we see from at the World Cup you know he missed the last major tournament because of his injury hmm. you know with his country now they didn't make the one prior to that um, yeah, I think that's correct. So, like, he's he's not necessarily had a a great run of major tournaments. Maybe like this is something that's huge around the horizon. Do you lose a percent or a couple of percent? I don't know. Again, you're just like you're you're asking the question because yeah. I mean you're basically talking about a mental equation there, and you kind of wonder is he one of those players? What I always think, and what I think about his situation though, he is like 
he had that period of thinking this guy is like he's infallible here. Yes. Like he's but once he loses that aura, like does that sort of have an impact on the players around him too? Like you, you clearly like you have this presence of this this reassuring presence who sort of digs people out of problems or he's their he's their leader or however you want to phrase it. And if he's just that you suddenly think, God, he's not the player he was now, mm-hmm. or he's more liable to be a mistake now. Yeah, Dan McDonald there speaking on uh, the show last night. It's two minutes past nine on this Wednesday morning on OTP. I'm delighted to say the Shelburne star Alex Kavanagh is in studio with us, fresh from winning the Women's National League title again at the weekend. Morning, Alex, how are you? Good, how are you all? Keeping well, keeping well. Your, your celebrations, no doubt ongoing. I know you have the, the Cup final to come this weekend, so they had to be fairly muted, but did you just get a, a night off to, to enjoy um, it? Yeah, I think we went back to Tolka that night. Um, we had a few drinks. Great obviously. place for a party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, not too much, because obviously we knew we were playing on the Sunday um, so we tried to keep it as little as possible Is it all to say Alex like you're basically on the Raz for the week now and like we're, we're going to be like <laughs> overcooked on Sunday with we'll you know, chances yeah, we'll be like we've had a long week Yeah, yeah. Uh, no we're trying to play down the chances as much as we can um, <laughs> trying not to drink too much because obviously we're now at Lallan are a good team so mm-hmm. we have to stay ready you, does it make does it make it all the more special, Alex, when you have the the final day coming down the way it was? Like you, you had to win, and Wexford run with a shout, and uh, Athlone run with a shout of winning the league as well. So, uh, w- when the league has come down to a dramatic final day like that, it must make it all the more special because you know you're not. It's not an anti climax of three or four or five games before the season ends where you know you're going to win. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think like it does put a lot more pressure on you. Um, I don't think it's ever really been like that the last few years. It's always kind of been like well, maybe last season, but there's always been like a clear winner. Um, but I think it shows that like the likes of Atlanta and stuff they're coming in. Um, it's kind of making the league a little bit tougher. It's not just the one team or the two team that's just going and winning it, which is is nice. I think it makes a bit more competition. Have you noticed the the quality level of the of the women's national league going up in in recent years? There's definitely a, an increased interest level there for sure yeah. amongst fans and TV and TG Car showing games as well. So has that been replicated on the pitch? Like, do you feel like it's there's more of a competitive element to it? Yeah, hundred percent. I think even like fans wise, there's a lot more fans coming. Like, it's not just obviously the young girls like now we are like. Are team like the men's like fans are coming which is unbelievable mm. I think like to be fair it's only like our club that's doing that but like we're coming out against Wexford and there's like loads of like men's fans screaming your name and stuff like that like singing for shells and it's just like it's unbelievable it's really nice to see though I think both have had a bit of that as well I, I think that's one of the great things like Galway United have now taken over the women's team as well and I think that you, you do become part of this wider family like and you will get a lot more people at the games yeah I think yeah I think that's a big thing like for shells like I think Mate, I'm not sure about bows, but like I think Charles started off like the men's come to the game. Like there's two bus loads coming out there game, mm-hmm. which is great to see. Like it gets you buzzing for. Um, but yeah, I think it's really good. Like that's a community feel thing because like Damien Duff's team, of course, and there's a lot of interest around Damien Duff and the men's yeah. team as well because of who he is. But that that's clearly been transferred over to your team as well. But when you're getting yeah. that, I mean, what a thousand people down at Ferry Carry Park. Yeah. Um, it, it shows that there's that community feel around the club, maybe in Shelburne that the two teams are almost as one yeah I think like we had a few a meeting like a few years ago and we were saying that we'd like to make it just a one club because we were called Shelbourne Ladies um, and then like they said we'd like it to make it one club so I think that it did bring that like bit of a community around it um, but yeah it's good that like we have that it's nice to see like what, what's it like to have people, someone like Heather O'Reilly in, in, involved as well I mean when you've got a World Cup winner 
in the team as well like we had Joey Malone in with us there last week talking about the impact she's had in training sessions and yeah. influence that must be quite special to play alongside yeah it's like a bit mad like she just fits in like as if she's just one of us um, it's mad though like you wouldn't think like she went to woke up like you'd be chatting to her about her and stuff like that she's just so humble like you'd speak to her and you wouldn't have a clue like um, but it's good like she's quite sharp like it's nice to learn things from her You've been involved in all three of Shelburne's like 2016 as well, were you involved? Yeah, yeah. So what, what's, your, what's your own background? Like, was, was it home farm you started out playing yeah, as a youngster? Yeah, I started out playing with home farm. I was with the men's team. Um, I was with Talk Rovers Horse there from Finglas. Um, I was with them, then I moved to home farm. Um, and then I was with the men's team, but P-Men put a protest in against me, so I had to join the <laughs> women's team. Um, you good, basically, they protested. Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Why were they protesting then? Because you were like... What is this? Why were they protesting? Because um, I was with the men's team on the home farm, uh, uh, the boys team, and then I was playing with the Shells girls, so they didn't allow that. Can't you both? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to join Shells girls. I joined them, I think, when I was nine or ten, so I've been around with Shells, I'd say, for like 12 or 13 years, I think. And you've been around football your entire life as well. Your dad and yeah. your brother are both heavily involved in football. Yeah, my dad, he was with uh, Pats and Usher and stuff like that. And then my brother, he was with Shamrock Rovers. Um, so I think they got me into it when I was about four because my dad was coaching and then I was training with my brother Kane's team um, like on the red and stuff like that. So I was quite involved when I was younger. Did you fall in love straight away, do you remember? Or? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. Well, I didn't really have a choice, but yeah. even <laughs> at that, like, I absolutely loved it, yeah. Did playing with the boys help you? Or was it like... 100%, yeah. yeah. I think um, even, like, i done um, the football first course when I was a little bit older. But just training with the lads, it's just a different level. You go in, we're training every day in FOSS, and then we come back into my own training. You just feel a lot sharper, because they're obviously quicker and fitter. Um, so you get used to that kind of tempo, and then you come back... And it's a little bit, you feel a bit more like kind of energetic or mm. sharper in a way. It does help though. Who would have been your, your football heroes growing up? Like, you, I don't know if you, you'd remember the Shelburne Champions League run and Owen Heary and all them lads, but maybe too young. But I mean, you must have had people you looked up to as, as a kid who were like, okay, that, that's the reason I want to be a footballer. Yeah, in a way, like on the women's team, um, I think I love watching Denise. I think she's unbelievable. Um, I think she's very underrated. She's just such a good player. She does a lot. Um, maybe kind of abroad men's. I love watching Zinedine Zidane. Right. I think he's a great player. I love. I just always watch clips of him. He's very, very good in the likes of Iniesta and stuff like that. Good, good um, judge. Here. <laughs> well, you're born to be a centre midfielder, obviously. Then, if you're looking yeah. at Zidane and Denise, yeah, the, maybe. <laughs> what um, What did you make of the? What have you made of the like the Vera Power? What she's done with this women's team? It's like you talk about the men's supporters in Shelburne taking an interest in the Shells women's team but uh, the, the, the women's national team now have just taken on this whole new level of, of interest everyone is on board the bandwagon now ahead of the World Cup yeah. a lot of that down to Vera Power but I mean it's just it's great to see what, what, what has happened with Irish women's football since mm-hmm. you even think back to Liberty Hall and the strikes and trying to get the most basic of, of equality with the men's team but yeah. now when you look at it it's just five years on taking on a different yeah. dimension yeah I think it's unbelievable I think it's a long long time coming um, obviously a lot of the girls have put in a lot of work um, but I think it's a long time coming that they deserve it they do obviously put a lot of work into it I think it has helped a lot of the girls going abroad to England and stuff like that obviously raised the standard but I think yeah it's unbelievable what they've done and what they've achieved and hopefully they go on and do a lot of great things you know uh, I guess that brings us to the, the next question how do you stop the drain of talent or how do you at least like you hear you see 
you mentioned Joy Malone and mm. Noel King's comments after the game the weekend. How do we? I, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of like you know the the ladies going over to play like Australian football. I think there's definitely comparison. I think there's a League of Ireland men's comparison going down the years as well. Mm. There's no easy answer. Is there? How, how do how do we get this right? Um. I think like I think it is I think a lot of it is down to the club. Um there's a lot of things you can do but I think in a way like it's it's gotten a lot better already. I think it's just clubs coming in, there's more interest in it. I think like with T G Carter, like it's it's I think that's helped a lot. I don't think they've realised how help like really, how, yeah. I think that's brought a lot of support. Um you'd never really get like a thousand fans yeah. down at the Ferry Carrick. Um and then obviously like like thousands watching on the telly. I think that has helped a lot. Um, I think little things like that does help because obviously you want to be playing well on telly so mm-hmm. that does bring up the standard mm-hmm. um, at the same time. But I think it it does start off at little things like little basics, maybe the telly, stuff like that. Um, obviously maybe fundings like Shells have brought in fundings for us which is a really good thing. Um, I think that might help players want to go on or oh, you're getting paid, stuff like that. And hopefully it just progresses over the years. It's going to take a bit of time obviously because um, we start from scratch but I think it is improving. Hopefully, we'll get there. Does the funding help? Um, in a way, yeah, it, it does. It's nice. Like it's better. Like it's kind of, it's better than not getting it. Mm. Um, it does help in a way. Obviously, um, obviously it's not massive, but it does help in a way. Like it's kind of something. I think a lot of the girls like we train three nights a week, and then obviously on the Saturday, like a lot of the girls work. Um, all of us work, so I think it is like you do put a lot of time and effort into it. So I think it does like help when you get that little bit of added or extra. For Connie as well, Alex, like, there there are people like there are lads who are playing in the first division this season in the League of Ireland, going for promotion, who are essentially on fifty quid a week. Yeah. So this is not like it's 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 not. There's no easy answer to this like across yeah. the spectrum because you can't just magically invent money either. You know, so it's yeah. it's not straightforward. I, I I may be wrong here, but I don't know what the answer is. Well, Noel King even I think he's in the papers today talking about the fact that you know he's even tried to sign players before maybe professional or semi-professional players for for yourselves and yeah. not allowed to because it's a amateur ranks. Yeah. Do, does there need to be now a push? Do you think towards making it professional? Obviously done right, as Johnny says, you don't want to be throwing token money to, to players just to say it's professional, they're yeah. paid. But it probably needs to be done in the right way. Yeah, I think even like with that, like obviously there's a lot of complaints about robbing players and stuff like that. I think. That's football at the end of the day. Like there's play, oh, there's clubs that have robbed players on us. We're going to rob players on them. Obviously, professionally, if you can. Um, but I do think if you could make a professional, obviously you do need a lot of things added to it, um, standard wise and stuff like that. But I think it would be a really good move if we could do that. Presumably, you guys wouldn't be out of pocket. Like there's not an occasion where you're having to pay up to go to matches or diesel. Or yeah. like, I assume you get helped out to to a degree. Um, with shells, yeah, we would now. Um, obviously, like years ago, to, like you, you get nothing yeah. realistically. Like, um, like obviously when I was younger, like my dad be dropping me to the games and stuff yeah. like that. Like we'd be travelling to Galway or Wexford or stuff. You don't get that funding, um, and a lot of clubs still don't, um, which is harsh. We're quite lucky with shells; they have brought us in and they have given us funding. But I think a lot of the girls in the league they do put a lot of time and effort into it, and it does cost. Like you're going to be travelling to games, like sometimes you mightn't get a bus or whatever like sometimes we couldn't get a bus and you'd have to like have your own fund and stuff like that but I think with a lot of clubs maybe they don't have that which is quite unfair um, but I think with Shells we're quite lucky we have gotten that so quite happy with that but That TG Cara thing you mentioned the, the, that aspect is so important as well and I think it's it's similar with, with Vera Powell's team like Sky have done a lot in terms of sponsorship mm-hmm. and 
even now just seeing like players on billboards and on side of buses yeah. like it's something you just never would have seen uh, yeah. with the women's team over the years but now clearly that even the marketing and PR push behind it is yeah. ma- dramatically increased yeah I think that's that. like I said like it's a really big thing that they've promoted us um, like we went down we done a photo shoot and so I go I think it was and just little things like that on the telly like no one will know if it's not shown kind of in a way because mm. um, obviously women's football it's not as big um <laughs> But you're never gonna know if it's not on. Like I'm, I'm going to work. I walk in a gym, and like to be like, oh, you're playing this weekend. Like, you'd never really know. When I was chatting to one of the girls, Jess, like she works in a bank, and she's saying like people be coming in. Now oh, you're you're playing this weekend. You wouldn't get that uh, years yeah. ago. But it's yeah. kind of nice to see, like, because you work so hard for it. It's nice as a little reward, maybe in a way. In in terms of coaching, like. How good is it at the the kids level? Like, it, because I mean, it, I would argue like even Irish. Irish men's football has been miles behind in terms of young players getting their touch right at a young level so are the girls getting the opportunities that you would say what you start off at four yeah. the, the Alex Kavanagh of today who's four years of age what is her what is her choice now or what, when can she start when can she get proper training yeah um, I think yeah I think the coaching side of it is is quite big like I think once you, if you get a good coach from being young I think that would be a massive part of it um, I think Playing with the boys, I think that helped me massively. Um, would you encourage or discourage that going forward? Like, for would it be good for the boys and the girls if they played together at a very young age, or would it be? Do we need to, you know, segregate? I think I would encourage. I think I, I think it'd be a great thing. Um, obviously, like I, I would recommend. Obviously, if there was a girls and a boys team, but sometimes at young age, a lot of girls won't play football or etc. Mm-hmm. Like, but I think. I definitely recommend going into the boys' side of things. I think that like completely brings up your level and makes you a better player. I definitely would recommend it if it was possible. But then, so like I wanted to continue with the boys, but obviously I wasn't allowed because there was a protest. Um, <laughs> but I, I definitely would recommend that. Yeah. But I think now it's becoming a big thing. So I think it would be great if we had our own girls' side that would bring up that level and have good coaches. Um, but I think that would benefit, yeah. Do we need under eight to say to under eight level? Which is, do, do you need to segregate at that level? I don't know if you do. You're developing yeah. skills here, like you're developing respect as well. Yeah. And you're developing where down the line, maybe there'll be as many young girls playing as there will be boys. Who knows? And I don't know. I you need the coaches. Yeah, I think it comes down to like I said, like even promoting, like maybe young girls are seeing that and telling them, like mm. oh, I want to get into it. And I think the more that do it the more the level's going to raise, like, the better you want to be, kind of, in a way. But I do think you're right. Like, I think maybe the more it's shown, the better it will be. I, I love the story of my... Um, we were... My, my niece and nephew were, like, in the back of the car after the Scotland game. And uh, my brother said to my niece, oh, you must have loved the, the women beating Scotland. And she was like, oh, no, my brother was way more into it. <laughs> he was loving it, like, you know, and he's yeah. mad into football. Yeah. She's kind of just kind of hovering, but, like, it didn't matter to him those Irish women seem like. Just football yeah. now yeah. For, for everyone. And it was very good, like, it was like, yeah. that goal is iconic, like. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Alex, you've been great with your time. Listen, I know you scored a lovely header at the weekend as well. Yeah. Abby Larkin, was it to cross the ball in for you? Yeah, Larko whipped it in. I think, I don't think I've ever had the ball in my life, so I don't know <laughs> what I was doing. Um, First time for everything. Yeah. Yeah, but it just came in. I, I don't know what I done to be honest. I think I just hit and happily went in. Fair play. Well, listen, yeah, obviously uh, important that they stay as well. Like they don't. Yeah. Like the Larko and that. Like. Yeah, I think like obviously Larko. She's in with the seniors. Um, she's still quite young. Like Larko's unbelievable. Yeah. It's really nice to see like young girls going in. Um, 
but yeah, no, it was a great ball, so thankfully it went in the end. More of the same this weekend, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, listen, thanks, <laughs> William, for coming in, Alex. Best of luck thanks this Sunday much. as well in the cup Perfect. final, Tallis Stadium. Uh, Sunday, Tallis Stadium, you'll get the cup final as well, Shelburne against Athlone Town. OTBM brought to you this morning with Gillette, as always, in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Here's what we've got on OTB Sports Radio coming up today, 1 o'clock. It's OTB Gold, Dr. Harry Edwards. 3 o'clock, the latest Koi Gig pod. We've got four p- from 4 p.m. a retro panel on uh, keeping a level head 6pm it's OTB Gold with Catherine Switzer 7pm as always OTB Live with Joe Malloy in the hot seat they're joined on Wednesday Night Rugby by Keith Wood and Fiona Hayes while Desi Hutchinson and Tim Vickery will also be on the line follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the very best in the latest sports content after the break we'll be live in studio with Tipperary's two-time All-Ireland hurling winner Paddy Stapleton to talk about his new children's GA book up in the air first though here's Johnny Sexton speaking ahead of Saturday evening's Springboks Clash back after these. OTB AM. OK, 20 minutes past nine on this Wednesday morning with myself, Shane Hannan and Johnny Ward. Delighted to say the uh, Boris Ali man and two-time All-Ireland winner with Tipperary, Paddy Stapleton, is in studio with us this morning. Paddy, how are things? Not too bad, Shane. How are you? Keeping well. Keeping well. You've got this uh, this book, so up in the air, Muckfest. It's a children's book for those of you out there who want to, to get your hands on it. It's a, it's a follow-on to this. So we've got... Now, this is the first question so I'm going to ask you. This is, the, this is actually another new one. So it's a different new one, right. It's okay. a different, so <laughs> now, anyone, anyone could do one book. So <laughs> anyone, <laughs> anyone interested, I'm going to get that in the middle of the screen. My first hurley and my first hurl. This is a, this is a controversial topic, Paddy. Yes. You've decided to go with both. Is it a hurley or a hurl? Well, it depends where you're from, doesn't it? I, I could never imagine... You know, play hurl, hurl with a hurl. You know, hurl with a hurl. So it's always hurling in Tipperary, but a lot of the places you get killed if you said it was a hurley. So I had to avoid the controversy, really, um, because I was even talking to my own mother, and she said, "Well, I wouldn't buy my first hurl." So I'm sure a lot of parents <laughs> in Ireland wouldn't buy my first that's, hurley. That's why you went for the two. So that's why I went for the, for the two of them. Yeah, and, and you know what? But and like obviously I'm doing all the work for it myself and and printing and publishing and all that, and it isn't as cost effective. But really, what I do with the books, <laughs> I want to actually do something that people really personally yeah, want. And yeah. even the thought of my first hurley. Really, it's 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 like you know everybody plays football or soccer or whatever, and your first boots or your your boots are your thing. And like Derry London Derry over here, like you know, not quite as controversial. <laughs> <isn't> <laughs> that, <laughs> well, a hurley is such a personal thing to people. Like if you play it. You know all about it. It's like if somebody picked up my hurley and, and it's there as like well. He's first one. My Sorry. first one's here. Yeah, there it is. Look at this, folks. The hurley. Now, in, in, ter- in terms of <laughs> cutest things he's ever had in studio, that has to be the cutest thing I've ever held in my life. That is unbelievable. All the way to under fourteen. Yeah, well, look, and I was never the biggest guy, so I had that for a long few years. Tip colours, Paddy, hold that for us and tell us yeah. what, like, what, what's the story behind this hurl? What the story behind? Sorry, I, I'm calling it a hurl because I'm. Oh, see, there you go. Yeah, I'm from Monaghan, so maybe I don't have the same right to. Well, to look, I mean, you have your own opinion uh, that's all, that'd be like me talking about football I suppose but no this uh, my own dad was a hurley maker obviously retired from it now um, and this was my first hurley and for some reason uh, my mum just decided to keep this one even though she didn't keep my brother's hurley so I don't know what they were showing <laughs> when they were young but you know and I have pictures with it it's, it's very very funny um, I just look for them pictures since I wrote the book right. um, and even the book the hurley maker in it I hadn't seen the pictures but it resembles my dad an awful lot with yeah, the pictures yeah, that we've seen yeah. the apron the hair everything like that so um, obviously you know what I've seen all through my life came through with this and luckily she held on to it and look and it, uh, I know the temporary colours might put a few off but, um, <laughs> but what age so what age were you when you had this one? Oh, I'd say one two years of age like there's a picture of me in Simple Stadium uh, it's on the website um, 
and I'm standing there with a few older fellas my, obviously my dad put me into it um, and I'm just right in front of the, the old stand holding this very same hurley so you can see but you, you're looking at it you know it's pretty it's pretty old looking it's a fair <laughs> relic at this stage but uh, I think it was a lovely it's a lovely thing to have like mm. you know but the only thing is I was told if I lose it I'm in serious trouble so we can't be leaving it here today now, I was right? going to say we need some cute things for our uh, for our set here but we wouldn't we wouldn't dream of taking that off you yeah. mm. uh, so let, we'll talk us through because the, these books are, are I mean I know they're being used in schools by teachers yeah. as well and look parents at home can maybe use some of the, the younger ones with the, with the, the yeah. illustrations but Up in the Air Muckfest so this is the sequel to the Up in the, Up in the Air book released yeah. in November 2020 so it's set a few weeks this is the kids of Glenstown Glenstown yeah uh, lost their Curdy Hurting final and uh, Muckfest is a fa- this famous festival that's been running in the town for the past 50 years so what what's the what's the general so what what age group is it for and what's the general story behind this the age, the age group is probably in around your good 10 year old 11 12 13 that it, I have heard of younger kids but um, maybe not every 9 year old would, would be able to read it um, and the story is really I couldn't write the same book again like you know I got great feedback from the first one it's your typical we're going to win the county final which we all dream about but this one like I just I'd be bored writing the same thing again I think kids would be bored even if they don't realise it beforehand so this is more like uh, a few weeks later like have you ever played in like street leagues at home or parish league we used to call it where you're under 14 or under 12 you're picked into your separate teams in the village now we did in Boris Lee so like if you talk about intensity like you hate losing your friend in training imagine if it's an actual match so we had some we had some rough rough times in our parish league so it's based around that idea instead of working together now it's more like civil war in Glenstown where uh, they all take on an identity and and you know the thing I really want to do is there's one more female dominated dominated team in it and that whole look at females in sport uh, gender in sport and something that I really really enjoy doing but in the middle of that like it I don't like to write just about hurling like there's an awful lot about hurling in it but uh, there's also other challenges in it during the week of Muckfest that's the that's the interesting one of the interesting themes because like it's, it's written through the character perspective of Fitzy this main mm. character but uh, Lizzie the female character like we just spoke to Alex Kavanagh the Shelburne mm. player and like, there, yeah. you talk about playing with, with boys teams growing up but that's one of the themes in this book is that you're talking about Lizzie this, this mostly girls team and trying to deal with the reception from the local community thinking yes. oh, they're not good enough they're only girls yes. so that's a that's that's a very interesting strand to that. Yeah, and it wouldn't, I wouldn't claim to give it an answer, but I do think it's an interesting one in light of day because I know a lot of Camogie and ladies football uh, players and their perspective is very, very interesting on it. And while I think the 2020 movement, I think it was absolutely unbelievable and phenomenal. And some people think maybe it was just a bit of a fad, but I think even at yourselves at News Talk, mm. doing a massive job at bringing ladies sport into the, into the fore, um, that... It has to be supported from everywhere. And I think even, number one, ladies themselves, the attendance at the games. Um, you know, some of my friends would say there sometimes be more men at their female matches than women. Mm. So I think that's one aspect. Uh, the media themselves, obviously, are a lot more invested than they were. Um, and I think it is going to a higher platform. You know, the ladies' football final is one of the biggest female events in the world. We have our Irish soccer team now going to the World Cup. So I think it's going from strength to strength. But it's just um, to look at it. And, OK, we're looking at the men's game, but I, I really think it can, can go higher and higher. But look, I suppose we're only... Are we only the last 10 or 15 years where it's been taken yeah. to another level? The coaching is getting better, the exposure is getting better, more sponsorship. And I think, you know, the sky's the limit really in Ireland. I know his brother as well. He's a, he's a good mark in Hackney and he wants to appeal to as broad a range as possible. <laughs> so, like, everyone in the country buys this book. Like, you know. <laughs> well, that would be ideal now, you know. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The more the better. Uh, it's, it's funny that you've got the two pigs, the king and queen pig, mascots yes. of the, the muck fest uh, mentioned in the, in the title. But 
Puck Fair elements to this? Puck Fair elements, of course. Puck Puck I was at Puck Fair, yeah, yeah very. Yeah. I was wondering whether I could release it or not. Like, the, the pigs are locked up in this. <laughs> well, the pigs now aren't up on a height, they're, you know, they're not exposed to the, the, the hot weather. But uh, yeah, I, I think, like, if we're talking about Ireland, like, I'll say I write about hurling there, but the couple of books I've written is more about Irish kids, Irish society, and what makes it special to me, and especially in the rural setting. Like, I'm very lucky to grow up in a lovely rural setting. And um, really, Buckfest is. Is, is a festival they run but it's more like a symbol of what makes every place special and different in Ireland and I just think we're so unique and we're so unique to have Gaelic games and all sports really but Gaelic games especially it just runs through us and it's our medium to where we live I find like that so the first thing is how are the team going and how did the match <laughs> go last day and, um, and I just think it's so special every place and definitely Puck Fair was a sort of a, a trigger uh, a sort of something that I wanted to explore and you know I, I thought more of the pigs would be a nice little element of it and there's a pig run at the start where the pigs are chasing them and that's to decide who are the captains of the team or the, the head pigs as we call them so it's just my own little uh, maybe a little you know different uh, but it's the way I was thinking about it and just really enjoyed doing something a little bit you know off centre it's probably the type of book you would have wanted to read at that age yeah I suppose look Shane, the first the first book I spoke at length about my struggles when I was young like when I was in maybe first class I be coming home with one out of ten in my spellings and two out of ten in my spellings so when I was young the only thing I had do you remember around the 90s it was Match Magazine and, oh, and I, mean, shoot, I, was, shoot, shoot. I was a shoot man yeah, I was a match man I have to say oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. more I shoot tell. I'd say yeah, every Tuesday match came out and I'd read it back to front yeah, yeah. and the posters all over the wall and, yeah, and all that Jesus, stuff yeah. the four pages and the eight page posters so that's all nostalgia to me but I, back then I can't really remember much GA stuff to read yeah, you know? yeah. so I think back then the, the soccer you know was very attractive Attractive. It was glorified, really, and I think it's it's very nice to have other things. And I know there's some other writers at the minute who have great sports books, GA books for youngsters as well. And I think if you can, like I see in school, I'm an English teacher. We try to get um, something, a book that can broaden their horizons, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes you need a bridge, something that they're already interested, that can already relate to. And then just getting them, you know, reading from there, get their literacy improved from there. And then we maybe can go on to broader topics. But I like something that can already bridge it. They can get their teeth into it straight away. And I think sport in Ireland is one of those things. Totally. For for any uh, teachers or or parents watching who want to maybe get one for a younger audience, we've got this one. Someone in the comments as well. Danny Max Tridaway. It's a hurley. This is going to cause. Go on, Danny. (laughs) But uh, yeah, my first hurley, my first hurl. So maybe talk to us about this one. This is uh, is a new one illustrated by Tom Doyle, I should mention as well. But uh, so this is for a younger age group younger yeah I mean look at if reading wise I mean the reading isn't overly complicated in it so you'd probably be saying reading wise 6, 7, 8 but like I've been doing photo shoots and been giving it to my, my friends kids now and they're three and four and even the pictures are quite easy to Brilliant. look like through. some of the not spoiler alert here for some <laughs> of the pages but like you can see some great illustrations it's it's really well done for a young I mean, kid I think. Tom you mentioned Tom there Tom is yellow belly on that's his handle he's not a yellow belly but he's, he's that's his handle online on Instagram and Twitter you know I think it's only right to give Tom a mention because I went to him I'd say only about three months ago with this idea Brilliant. and a script and, and a direction and I, I kind of sometimes speed is the mother of invention it, you got to do it yeah. Yeah. just got yeah. to yeah. overthink it like yeah, yeah and I got, I'd love the parents asked me the last day or last the last time I had a book out about maybe something for the younger mm. child, you know, and, and I think, you know, very validly and just said this time God I'll go for it. Like, you know, probably pulling he was pulling his hair out of me, I'm sure I wanted it so quick, but he did some job um over a few week period. But the key is Tom is like a hurling person. 
you know so he knows could, a hurl from a hurley he knows a hurl from a hurley and you know, I think he's more of a hurl man in Wexford now but <laughs> he knows a hurl from a hurley but I didn't have to go back to him too many times because yeah. he already knew and this was even a new style for him and he just took it on and like I, I, I'm so happy with that like you know I'm delighted to write the, the longer book and for the older kid but I'd love to be an illustrator myself I wish I had the talent but he just you know he knocked it out of the park for me and uh, couldn't be happier with so it. this one so uh, just reading the, the uh, description of this one so Fitzy, Lizzie and Bones the character is going to get their first hurley so mm. they get up early cycle to Old Neil's spooky workshop meet Old Neil the hurley maker and then see their first hurleys being made but it's like um Ollivander's wand shop in Harry Potter where they yes. go in the three characters yes. go in and get their yeah. mystical first wand and well, the wand the chooses them does the hurl choose the, well, the, the hurl, kid the hurl uh, hurley I don't know how I'm going to call it hurley. We'll, we'll go both yeah but it is to, you would often hear it referred to as your wand you know what it is and it's such a personal thing to people like it's scary like I don't really like people pick mine up because I know they're probably going to insult it because everyone is so different like I like a really feather light one whatever it is weekends I, I don't know what it is or flicking as a back man you have to flick in and you know try and get the ball and then but other guys for a thicker handle or a, a, a more timber heavier heavier head on it um, heavier boss or a flat handle or a round handle so there's such a variation to it um, and it's such a personal thing to people and uh, you know if you if I picked it up and I didn't like something you know somebody might get sour about about you not liking their hurley so um, that is you know and that is the story behind it but during it like uh, I want it to be a story alright a journey uh, for the kids in it but also it's the practical element of showing them how a hurley is actually made so it goes through in it that you have your different style you know Kilkenny might have a style Tipperary style Waterford style uh, you choose that first and then you go into um you know, you cut, you, you draw it out, then you cut with the bandsaw, you plane it down, mm. uh, and then you finish it off. And that's kind of what I knew as growing up. Like, uh, like the sound of a bandsaw to me is still so familiar. Um, and uh, the, you know, the sprinkle of sawdust in the air, like they, like I, I think it's magical enough. Like I, try, I, f- I feel like it's magical going to the workshop. And to me, it's like if you could go to Santa's workshop. <laughs> like that's the closest thing anyone could get to Santa's workshop is going into a Hurley workshop and it's hopefully like, the kids will you know see that too it's like Di- Diagon Alley and, and Harry Potter's the equivalent is Boris Ali and your Perth. sawdust covered factory in, in, in Tipperary it, it, it is what it's funny one of those things like just the in snooker, I know, like a lot of snooker players have talked about the the cue being an extension of their arm. Yes. Nearly, like how a, can you tell the dancer from the dance? Well, like, this is know, it. And, and yes. I remember Stephen Hendry; his cue was damaged on a flight. I think he put the flight in the undercarriage, and he never played the same. Mm. There, like this is kind of towards the end of his career anyway. But he just couldn't couldn't find a cue because he had that cue for for all of his world title wins and and, mm. and that. So is it similar in, in hurling? Like you have a, a hurling if it's or hurley and. It's it's part of you. Oh, w- without doubt. Um, they, they also, like you couldn't use a new hurley really coming up to a match, like especially right. match. I know a lot of guys. If they have a hurley, they're only using it in the match. Like, okay. so for training. Different now. I wasn't. I had to be comfortable with mine, and you know, often had a few tears after breaking and training. But it's certainly an extension of it. It's that weight. It's it's what suits your being. Like I like I, my hurleys are so light. Like the under 15s I train, pick it up, and they find it light. You know, so I'm a grown adult, um, and it has to suit your position. We hear Sean Finn talking about it recently. He's cornerback, he uses a 37 or 36. When he's centre back, he uses a 33. Wow, wow. <laughs> and, and I'd be the same. Like, I'd probably 34 and a half inch hurley. Um, 
and I'd love to go smaller it'd be easier to manage it but the amount of times I've just hooked somebody by that much <laughs> i just got that touch on the ball when, when I'm blocking somebody down so my position I can't afford all the forwards can afford to have the smaller hurlies you know? it's tougher for your position yeah but even Ollie Canning I think it was 06 he got his, his hurley taken at a press junket before the All-Ireland like it was nearly a nationwide hunt for it like, you know. one of the greats one of the greats absolutely yeah. absolutely it's, it's, it's one of those things yeah you, you don't think about the significance and the importance of it until you hear an actual well, that's true I, th- I thought people would but obviously yeah it looks like oh it's like a pair of boots or it's like whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. bit of equipment like a helmet but no it's um, it's certainly special and people can have them years I, I definitely have my current hurley since 2015 I'd say right and, and hoping and praying that it doesn't break but I think the hurleys are going to outlast me playing hurling I've just said hey, before we let you go Paddy we should ask about the uh, next season in Tipperary and how you, how you feel I mean Liam Cahill three year term in the summer to replace mm. Colin Bonner I mean Limerick are just it's, it's, it's hard to see the end of their dominance but I mean there are teams catching up how do you feel Tipperary are, are, are set in terms of closing that gap yeah I think it, it's a bit of an unknown at the minute Shane because um, probably last year you know it was a little lifeless it was a little um, definitely inconsistent um, but I think Liam going into it um, it reminds me of 2008 when Liam Sheedy went in we're at a little bit of a low ebb there's not much expectation on Tipperary mm. next year I think you know yourself that brings motivation that brings a lot of energy that brings guys that are pretty angry playing and Liam Cal is, is quite a tough manager and he has a great backroom team behind him as well so I could see him actually doing quite well uh, I don't think any team bar Limerick obviously are are an insurmountable challenge I think they could give a challenge to any team if they're organised if they're fit if they have the fire and drive which I think they will um, because a couple of years of underachievement I think will do that to you uh, certainly I remember going in I was called in the same year in, in 08 uh, on a permanent basis and the team was ready to change I mean I suppose they were looking at Kilkenny winning for a long time during that stage and now I suppose we're all looking at Limerick winning but I think it's very encouraging last year you know that Kilkenny team that drove them all the way in that final like if you put that against other Kilkenny teams before I don't think I'm disrespecting anyone to say the individuals probably aren't as good but it just showed they were able to find a way semi-final against you know um, Galway I think it was pretty close match very close, yeah. very close. Yeah. Munster final mm-hmm. gone to extra time so I think they're brilliant to actually and it shows how good they are like that Dublin football team for to be up for it over and over like they can't be as up for matches as the hungrier teams who haven't won in <laughs> yeah. a long time I think that's impossible that's myself neutraliser like exactly yeah, but it just shows it, yeah. the quality that they're still able to get over the line over and over so we'd be hoping that will change yeah. at some stage we, uh, before I let you go sitting in those seats we had um, Jimmy Marr and uh, John O'Keefe former teammates of Dylan Quirk and it's yeah. been a very emotional um, year in the Tipperary Club Championship and I know Kilaran McDonough's who uh, were the team playing against Dylan Quirk's club Clarity Ross Moore in that match the FIFA match where he lost his life um, they went on to lift the Tipperary Senior Championship first time in 37 years time it almost felt fateful that, that, that that's what happened uh, and great great images of, of the team standing and sitting in that spot in Seba Stadium holding aloft the, the red helmet in tribute to him such an emotional time in Tipperary over the last while since that happened yeah it is it's, I suppose the whole championship um, has had the marker Dylan Quirk on it um, I just think the Clear One lads really held themselves so well um, you know obviously you'll be at the funeral and that but they were there as a team uh, they were there in huge support of Clanolty um, and to think of him straight away after the match after 37 years because I know what that felt like we were something similar mm. when we won the county final and your head is just gone you know but you know Liam O'Kelly in fairness as manager there 
really drove the message of Dylan that they were carrying Dylan as well with him and again Irish, it's such a unique thing in, in the GA in Irish sport that we're so close we're killing each other some of the time but mm-hmm. really at the end of the day we're all for the one cause and um, I thought it was very emotional and even I know some of the Clonalty guys were up in, in Clock Jordan which is in Killer One there over the last few days and a bond there as they say themselves there's a bond there that'll never ever be broken and it's just it is a lovely lovely part of, of, of our game and our culture yeah here, here. Uh, listen, Paddy, you've been great with your time. Thanks, million for, for coming up. For people, you know, whether it's teachers or parents or whatever, that want to get their, their their hands on a copy of the book. You mentioned the website. Where else can people? Yeah, well, it's it's all shops in bookshops in Tipperary, really. And then I just do it online from my own website. Then, so that worked. You know, That's very, Paddy very Stapleton. Well. Paddy Stapleton. Yeah, and sure. Look, uh, it's actually out. I meant to say that. You know, this is very important. It's actually out today. <laughs> out today. So, yeah, exclusive now for off the ball. Oh, so brilliant. yeah, it's out today. All the bookshops in Tipperary and say get it online as well. And we've we've all. But we've them two and the original one and and a couple of little treats on the website as well. Sorted for what I you know that horrible Christmas present list. What am I going to get? Now <laughs> yeah. I know. Like, well, I'm going to get Paddy. I'm going to be delighted. I'm going to get Paddy to sign these as well, just to add a little bit of value to my ones. Well, it uh, could take leave. value. I think for <laughs> my signature. Ah, uh, not at all. Not at all. Paddy, thanks a million as always for coming into us. Paddy Stippen there, of course. Boris Ali and former Tipperary hurler as well. Uh, that's all we have time for on OTBM on this Wednesday morning, 9:40 a.m. on this Wednesday. Uh, back tomorrow morning, as always. Cork and Nemo Rangers. Luke Connolly will be on the line. Uh, Daniel Davy will be in studio to talk about his new nutrition book, and we'll have plenty. Eat more besides OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode.